What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I know I say that every time, but I really do appreciate it. It means a lot to me, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys, and it's awesome. So if you want to shoot me a message, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com. This one's a special one, and kind of a crazy one, and a super fun one, and it's full of twists and turns and false endings, and there's discovery, a lot of discovery. If you don't know what that means, maybe you'll understand a little bit more once you listen to the episode. Adam Rubin is our guest, and he is one of the most incredible, brilliant people I have had the pleasure of meeting. He's amazing. He's super into puzzles. He was a copywriter. He's a children's book author. He's a magician, of course. Super interesting. We talk about, you know, growing up in magic and and understanding how lay people's perception of you changes once they learn you're a magician. That's kind of what you are to them. We talk about the difference between theatrical performance and performing sort of impromptu. We talk about the importance of improvisation. Adam is an accomplished improviser. He studied under Mick Napier in Chicago, and we would both highly recommend Mick Napier's books on improvisation. You can find them on Amazon.com. Super interesting stuff. Our special guest and co-host of this episode is Ossie Wind. I talked to Adam Rubin at Magi Fest in Columbus, Ohio, and Ossie was there performing. And he let us use his room and took it upon himself to commandeer the podcast, which I was all about. It was awesome. He's super funny and very interesting as well. And we have some other special guests, if you listen long enough. (laughs) I want to make a disclaimer. We promise listeners prizes for making it through the podcast. None of those have happened. (laughs) There is no website. The website that we mentioned, that is not a thing. There are no free t-shirts or anything like that. But if you do get to the point at which they start talking about screenshotting your phone and posting it, please do that. That would be a lot of fun. I also want to apologize. I know Hermione is Emma Watson. I couldn't remember her last name. Neither could Adam. We both felt like utter fools because we couldn't remember Emma Watson. She's one of my all-time favorite people, and I couldn't remember her dang name. We figured it out, though. I just, you know, I'm (laughs) preemptively apologizing for that brain fart that happened. But this is a great episode. It's super fun. I think about it in my mind with the title, The Never-Ending Episode, and you'll understand what I mean. I just want to say, even though your phone says it's, you know, five hours or something, it's not actually that long. That's part of the discovery. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Of course, you can follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter with at A Sense of Mystery. Find us on Instagram at A Sense of Mystery and at Treasury of Wonder. You can also go like the new Facebook page. There's a Facebook page that is uh, available to you so that you can get updates on when episodes come out. Obviously, every Thursday, but you know. Anyway, this is a great episode. Get into it. Super fun. I'll see you later. What was it the tip that Paul Wilson gave you? Oh, he was saying that he noticed that uh, when I, his, he and I talked for nearly three hours, and he said... Uh, Who the fuck listened to that? Nobody's listened to it yet, that we haven't launched the site or the podcast. That's so crazy. Um, but it's one of those things like... Who has that kind you know, of Put patience? it in your car, put it in, you know... I guess, I don't drive, but <laughs> I don't... I, I, my girlfriend likes to listen to podcasts, and I, when she listens, I'm just like... I'm paralyzed. I'm like uh, a deer in headlights. I can't think about anything else except for the voices. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> I have a problem. That's okay. 
there's so much interesting about you to talk about. Are we, did we start? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't curse, right? No, you can curse. That's okay. fine. So whatever right. the fuck you want. All right. <laughs> it's all good. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested in your magic origin story. I'm interested in advertising. I'm interested in your children's books. I'm interested in the whole everything. Like mm-hmm. Puzzles, illusions, magic, uh-huh. all that. Okay. So we can start wherever you want to start. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Uh, you're good on levels and everything where I'm sitting. Is it good? Yeah. <sighs> All right. Let me spin a tail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, just, let's just stretch. It's yeah, let's, let me stretch There's out. There's no pressure. Super So chill. where to start? I guess magic came first. Okay. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I always like to write. So maybe that did come first, but not in any really super meaningful way. I always liked to write. I was good in English, mm-hmm. but I would say my first passion in life, the first thing that really bit me was magic. And it quickly spiraled into other sorts of things. Like I liked to make videos and do special effects in the videos, but in some ways that was similar to magic. And really early on when I got interested in magic, that way of thinking applied itself to other avenues also. So was it, what kind of creativity was that? I mean like can you give examples about So the first I actually got into magic in a in a roundabout way. Okay. Similar to most stories, I was given a book. Okay. That kind of sparked my interest, but I wasn't that excited by it. It was the Mark Wilson Cyclopedia of Magic. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it looks like a little cube. It's almost cube-shaped. Mm-hmm. A little tiny version. It's got like 700 pages, but it's it's only like five inches tall. Yeah, yeah. It's a great book, and it has everything you need, really, especially for a beginner. But I got sent... I was at summer camp. I got it in a package, and it seemed neat, and it was with... But there was candy in the package. I was much more interested <laughs> in the candy. My friend learned a trick out of the book and fooled me with it, and that sort of piqued my interest. You walking through Aussie? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not just now. Can I can I interfere in the conversation? Yeah. But don't never introduce me. Don't introduce me. No, never say Aussie is here or something. You're gonna have to listen to me blather for a long time. And if somebody if somebody knows like if someone recognizes my voice, cool. But if not, don't tell (laughs) them that it's me. All right. Like everybody, I got a book. Okay. Got a book. And my friend learned a trick out of the book, fooled me with it. Okay. That was that sort of piqued my interest more than I had originally thought. But I didn't, it didn't, it didn't really bite me. The bug didn't bite until later on, I think it was sixth grade. Sixth grade, we had a renaissance fair okay. at school. And everybody had to do, I haven't thought about this story in a long time. <laughs> I always just do the cop. How do you get a magic? Like, I get a book. I don't know. No, I want. But all this of is it. this is <clears throat> this is the truth. Is we had a Renaissance festival at school, and I feel like there was like three options when you did the Renaissance festival. You could either be sell like the baked goods, or you could do the maypole, which is this weird ribbon thing you run around in a circle. Yeah. Or you could do the joust. Like, all the boys wanted to do the joust. It was a fake joust, and that was... You, you had to choose those three things. And even at a young age, I was I was pretty independent-spirited. I was like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I want to do something else. I don't want to do this stuff with the other kids. And I 
Melissa the friend helped my friend Jesse, mm-hmm. who's also a kid that we used to make all these ridiculous videos together, and we said, we're going to do a magic show. And they're like, do you know how to do magic? And both of us are going, yes, we do know how to do magic. So we had these wizard co- they made wizard costumes. The PTA was helping out. They like so these moms sewed this wizard costume for us, and we went to Tannen's Magic Shop in New York City. I grew up not not far from New York, and we went in there and we bought like a dove pan, and I did the trick with the buttons, the two buttons where you close your hands really fast, yeah, yeah. and the two button, the one button flies across. And I mean, it must have been a horrible show. <laughs> but we were in sixth grade, and people that had their baked goods, they had seen the joust and the maypole, and so they were very happy to see the magic show. Uh, and I think it even continued on after that. That was really, I think that was the first magic show I ever did, was was that that show. It was a disaster, I'm sure it was a disaster. <laughs> I I'm, I'm having trouble even remembering the details of it, but since then I've always had an interest and I, I was really fortunate to live near an SYM assembly in Stamford, Connecticut, which was about an hour and a half away and my parents were gracious enough to drive me once a month and then once I got my driver's license at 16, I started driving myself and I would get lost without fail. Every <laughs> single month I would get lost. <laughs> I have a horrible sense of direction. One time I wound up in Manhattan somehow <laughs> trying to drive from Rockland to Connecticut. And this was before cell phones and before uh, maps, and I really didn't know what the hell to do or how to get back. But the Bill Andrews Assembly was great. It was really great. I learned my first like real trick there, mm-hmm. which was the one to hundred dollar bill switch. Oh wow! The like the old school Klaus version, and w- that trick basically built my close up career in high school because mm-hmm. I started doing that trick, and I learned some other tricks, and I started doing bar mitzvahs, and I started doing. Uh, I started doing, um, you know, some little walk-around gigs and restaurants and things, and then I met Brad Henderson. Okay. And Brad Henderson worked at the summer camp that I went to, and even back then, and this is probably 25 years ago, Brad seemed like an old man. <laughs> and I didn't realize. Well, now, that makes sense. Well, but looking back on it, he was like 27. I mean, really. I really hope he's not listening. Yeah, to this. He, he probably won't. <laughs> He definitely won't. I don't think so. But he was, you know, he had the pointy beard. Actually, you know what? I don't know if he had a beard at that time. It's like Max Maven. He never, it's right. always he was, ageless. He was, he was 20. He was like an ageless like sage. And Brad was the same way. He just always seemed older than the other counselors. He seemed wise beyond his years. And he had that professorial way of speaking. And he did not take shit from anyone. I mean, even as kids, as, as hard as he is on people... He was that hard on kids, but if you're good, he recognizes that and he encourages you. And if you show some initiative, he will teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's that was the experience I had with Brad, is I came in there with a little bit of knowledge and I left with so much more. And even just, I mean, I was I did I showed him the $100 bill change and by the end of the summer, I was doing it in a, on stage like Nate Lipsig with like a committee on stage and I still do this trick in my act. Like it's such a beautiful trick. and. Yeah. The, there was I remember so vividly the guy at the SYM sitting he had shown it and I asked him about it and I asked him about it and I asked him about it and finally I had done whatever I needed to do to prove that I I would take care of the secret and learn the techniques and he took me aside and he showed me this trick and it it blew my fucking mind it really <laughs> did it blew my mind because it connected a lot of dots for me as a young kid in magic 
people always talk about thumb tips and, and thumb and I was like, it's that stupid trick with the silk. Like that's so dumb. Why is this such a popular gimmick? And then he showed me this miracle that you could do, and just the mechanics of it are kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. The engineering of where things move and how they change, it's actually like, it's like a, a very choreography, correct? It is. It, it, it's it, it's it's a beautiful thing. And that was the first real secret of magic that I remember so vividly and being and bestowed upon you by yeah, Sage. Yeah, and, and that was that fraternity type of thing because this guy had taught it to me, he taught me the technique, and then Brad really taught me like the presentation of it and the mm -hmm. meaning of it and the power of it and it's I've carried it with me the rest of my life. So uh, not to get too philosophical about it, but that was that was really a, a potent moment for me that or a potent uh, effect or, or trick, magic trick sure. that kind of followed me through my, my maturation of the in, in, in the art form or the craft or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I, I was very into it, very, very dedicated mm -hmm. when I was in high school. I was a, uh, extremely studious, probably more so than even with my academic work, <laughs> just read voraciously and really gravitated towards makes a lot of sense. It was David Williamson, Harry Anderson, Matt King, these sorts of guys, and and... It doesn't fit a kid so well, but I, yeah. I did what I could with it, and I think I I was ambitious enough that I started working a lot. Sure. You know, I, I knew how to talk to adults, and I was fairly well-spoken for my age, and I didn't overstep, and I wasn't always trying to be the center of attention, so I would go to an event, and I would impress the right people and, and, and keep my mouth shut when I needed to, and I would continue to get booked yeah, and so yeah. I was like my first wedding I ever went to was as a magician at like 17 and I was working TGI Fridays on Fridays and Dave and Buster's on Saturdays and I was raking it in you know I'm a yeah, teenager yeah. and I was raking it in it was great but in high school I was Magic Rubin that was like people just called me Magic <laughs> and uh, you know I played lacrosse and I did the m morning announcements and I like put together the video yearbook and I was very act anything that wasn't specifically school work yeah, yeah. I was all about <laughs> it and I did all this stuff in, in in high school but very much and I talk about this a lot with friends now when somebody finds out you're a magician they can't think of anything else oh, yeah. it's just such an unusual thing to be that when they meet you and they find that out it colors their perception of you for the it's rest like of your relationship. Star. It's like you're a porn star or a stripper or like a proctologist. Yes. It's just, it's such an unusual and interesting thing that you can't forget it. Yeah, yeah. So I was Magic Rubin and that was it. I was Magic, I was Magic Rubin and I didn't go, I didn't perform a ton. Like True. in, uh, that was the best thing about having gigs is somebody be like, hey, do a trick, Magic, do a trick. And I'd be like, come see me at, uh, at Dave and Buster's or come see me at this gig. Sure. I would do formal shows. They would, they had a poetry slam. I would do magic. They had a talent show. I would do magic. But I wasn't like breaking stuff, breaking out tricks at parties and stuff. Uh, that was just never my style. I just really didn't like making myself the center of attention. But, the, but why is it, is is it you feel like you're cheating? Like you you're supposed to use social skills to to blend with with the, in the party, or you think it's like if you did magic, it's just a shortcut. I think. It's not, I don't have a problem with it. I have good friends that are very much social performers. I think it's more that when you, when you perform in a more theatrical setting, you realize the power of that of performance, right? And then you start to, so it's two sides. There's one that you start to miss it. You start to miss the kind of theatricality, the, the context of a performance where there's a beginning, 
there's a setting and then there's an end and there's context for it so that when it's over, it's over. So you miss that because then in, in theater, nobody comes up to you after and goes, hey, can you do another one? Can you do another one? Show me that one again. Well, if you're good, they do. Well, well, I get the hell out of there after the show. That's they like, say, okay, we had enough, yeah, Adam. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> please leave. Please leave Stop. now, sir. Um, the lights went down. We'll you. send you a bill. It, it, it's that part of it. And then it's also the part of it that it's like a, I always like to think about it like a gunslinger. You keep the gun under the coat. Mm-hmm. You walk around with the gun out all the time. What do you got? Something to prove to everybody? Mm. Keep the gun under the coat, and then when the time is right, you flash the gun. And if the time is really right, you shoot the gun. But most of the time, you don't even have to shoot. But some people feel like they need to shoot all the time. Some people are in there like Yosemite <laughs> Sam, shooting up the whole fucking place. It depends where you live. Exactly, exactly. So I just, I tried to have a lot of uh, discretion with when I would perform so that it would be more special when I did. Mm-hmm. And to the point went that when I went to college, I went away to college in St. Louis at Wash U, I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody that I do magic. I just, it was, it was, because it wasn't, it was a big part of me, and it was, still was a big part of me. It wasn't so big a part of me that I was like reading blogs or reading books. I mean, seriously, people did not know that I did magic for most of my college career. Some of my really close friends maybe knew, but I just didn't, I wanted to see what I was like without it. What was my personality like and what would people's reaction to me be like if I didn't perform magic? Did you have an impulse to perform magic and you were denying yourself that? The thing was, I was secretly performing. (laughs) There was a guy named Dan Fleshman in St. Louis. Well, you wore a mask and you went to dark alleys. No, I was writing the Magic Circle jerk. Can't tell you my name, just pick a card. (laughs) Um, Josh really thinks that's me, though, by the way. He he, he took me aside. He thinks it's me. That's Uh, funny. That's very funny. So... But, but at this time, I met a guy named Dan Fleshman. Somebody had introduced us. I knew some people. I had, like, put out some tricks. And I was, like, I was kind of dialed in with the magic community. I knew a bunch of the guys. And they knew I was in St. Louis. And he needed somebody to cover his Dave and Buster's gig. So on Saturday nights, I would sneak off campus and drive <laughs> to Dave and Buster's and do this walk-around gig. Wow. And I never told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I was still performing. I was doing, I, I went into an acting track. And I founded a, a comedy group. So mm-hmm. I was actually getting up on stage quite a lot. You were getting that attention that you needed. You know, I don't know that it was attention as much as it was like... like a platform? I don't know what it was. The acting for me was a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I liked learning it. And it, it is very much craft. And I did it a couple... I was cast in a few plays and um, had some really a lot of fun doing that. I like the laughs. I think I like the la- I like that fulfillment of making a room full of people laugh. If you've never had that experience, it's so electrifying to just it's rewarding. stand on stage and say something. Everybody laughs because you're on the same page. Yeah. Sometimes with magic, you can feel this adversarial relationship with your audience where it's you versus them, or you know something that they don't, and and they're trying to get you, and they're trying to catch you, and and that's hard. You got to kind of fight against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are really good at that, making it feel like we're all in this together. But with with comedy, most of the time when you're doing comedy, you make everybody laugh. It's a signal that like we're all on the same page. We're all experiencing the same thing together. And that's really cathartic. And so uh, I learned how to do improv comedy by reading Mick Napier's book in college. And we put this little group together called S- Suspicious of Whistlers. This was like 12 years ago. It's still going. They had the 10 year reunion. We went oh. back and like met all these kids. I felt so old. That's it was incredible. really crazy. Like they had Facebook in elementary school. It was really bizarre. And 
it, it's it's been great. That that was the other. That was where my my passion kind of moved towards was comedy. Mm-hmm. So it, in college, though I didn't do much magic, I did a little bit. And then like once I had a sort of established myself, you know, you go to college, kind of discover yourself. Once I had kind of figured out, grown into myself. I realized I can do magic whenever I want, mm-hmm. and it doesn't define me. It's a thing that it's a part of me, and so I started performing a little bit more towards the end of college in some of the comedy clubs and just kind of like informally for people, and it was a lot of fun because it it, I, it, I, it it was like a renewed perspective, a totally refreshed perspective on what I used to do because now I felt more like a actual human being mm-hmm. that could then bring some some worldview to this. Beautiful arcane art form, but I have to I have to, to interject here. Go ahead. I've he- I've heard this again. Like uh, I'm trying to understand it more. I'm not m- expressing an opinion, but you said I felt like an actual human being. Yeah. So if I was I don't know a painter, yeah. a famous painter. Yeah. And everywhere I walk, people say, "Oh, he's a painter and he's also that," sure. or I'm a singer or whatever, an actor. Yeah. Why is that not making me a real human being? Why the uh, fact that you know, you are wearing many hats, and one of them is you are a magician, and I know that, totally. I'm aware of it. Why is it making you less of a human being? I think it's because uh, it's about it's about being a well-rounded person. And that's not to say that you can be singularly focused in your passion, but I think you still need time to experience other things in your sure. in your early development. It's the same reason why you hear a lot of child actors say that why they go crazy or why they like feel like Emma Tom what Emma uh, who is Hermione Emma Emma uh, Stone Stone no no no, Emma uh, Thompson Emma Thompson right so is it Emma Thompson no that's an old British lady isn't it Emma Thompson anyway the Hermione I might Emma you can always whatever her name is she she's yeah. you know she's I'm gonna look it up nice she was but she was cast in this movie like super super young well she was like I don't know ten right yeah. okay and she felt like she was going crazy because she was Hermione, she was Hermione, she was actress, like her whole life was this thing, and that's what you do to yourself when you become obsessed with magic. You kind of shut yourself off to other sorts of things because you're so singularly focused, which is in some ways a great thing because a lot of people go through life without any passion, and they should be super jealous of magicians because, I mean, how, how lucky are we that so many of our friends are passionate artists, right? Yes. Most people can't say that. They don't know people that love their jobs. They don't know one, maybe. We know, like, most of our most friends of them, yeah. love their jobs. That's rare. Yeah. That's special. But you need that time to experience the world, to travel, to see theater, to see opera, to write, to hear music, to try to learn an instrument or whatever it is. Yeah. Even if it's just to, like, drink and party and talk about sports and, and whatever, but not, but to step but away from But that's a personality it. thing, because I feel like as a human being, like, since I know myself, yeah. I always... I wasn't. I wasn't just. Oh, I love magic. I'm gonna look. I, you know, I love theater. I love yeah. comedy. I love mm-hmm. art. I love graphic design. Like a lot of things, and I'm always learning about those things as, as you know the years go by. Look, everybody's development is different. I needed a part. I needed a time to step away from it, and then I came back I to it. And I think I'm more into it now. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I was the most I've ever been into it was high school. I mean, I used to freaking run home from high school. Watch The Simpsons and read magic books. That was like my whole life. Reading that's the nice far combination. side and magic that's books. That's pretty yeah. good, yeah. And that, I used to. That, that's a very that's rounded education in my opinion. Yeah, Simpson yeah. and card tricks. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Well, yeah, Tommy Wonder and Matt Groening. <laughs> More probably Sam Simon at that point. But I, I 
continued on the path with the comedy. It, it really appealed to me, and I loved the, the fact that it was inclusive. You know, imagine you go to a gig and there's five other people that are sharing the gig with you, and after the gig, you get to talk about how, how it went with these other people, and you all share in this. Mm-hmm. That's really, what a great, uh, what a great social, and, and, and uh, just, it was such a, a wonderful... Fulfilling. It was so fulfilling. It was such a wonderful social network to be a part of. And when I, after I graduated, I moved to Chicago to study improv with Mick Napier, who is now like a really good friend, and I've taught for the Annoyance now and been a part of the, that that theater for a long time, both in Chicago and New York. But I got bit by the improv bug, just like I got bit by the by the magic bug, because it's so. Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Where it's just there, you're part of something. Can tell the word in Hebrew. Yeah. What is it in Hebrew? You're giving yourself away, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Um, but here's the thing: yeah. you you became obsessed about improv. Yeah. You know, when I come obsessed about something else, I always I immediately start see relationships yeah. and how similar it is, and I I feel like I've learned from art about magic as much as I learned from magic about art and I, vice versa like it's I all agree. interchangeable yeah yeah I agree because all arts great, are connected absolutely there's a lot of great connections and, and cross-pollination that happen when you expose yourself to these other sorts of things but for a long time I was doing just the pure improvisational comedy I was in a group at Improv Olympic we were I mean like it was so fun it was so fun we really got to know each other we'd get up on stage and just make shit up and, and come from nothing and, and it, it felt like magic in that way and we were together for like four or five years, which is unheard of in that town. I mean, they they axe improv groups left and right, but a couple of the guys now are, have gone on and they're on Second City main stage. Wow. And, I mean, really talented people. Yeah. And it was just luck of the draw that we got put together and we re- really clicked. And at the same time, I was writing a lot of comedy over at The Annoyance. So it was, it was sort of related because you see then how the improv at The Annoyance was used as part of the process. It wasn't the final entertainment product it was part of the process part of the discovery and part of the way that you would write and create these shows and so that's where I find it's valuable for magic because that mindset of oh anything can happen let's try this well let's try that 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 yes and type of spirit that that fearlessness was really helpful in creation of all kinds that is, I think, the biggest lesson I took away from it. I used to do this show. I shouldn't talk about this. I used to do this show. And Mick Napier is, is an amazing uh, character and a good friend, but, like, a horrible pervert and um, and, and, and hedonist. And he had this What's show. What's his name again? His name so, is, so it's clear on the... His name is Mick Napier. You can look him up. Napier? His, his book, his book is, is a seminal work of, of improv comedy. It's called Improvise. Yeah. And he's got a new book... Uh, Shit, it's on Amazon. It's just, it, yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mick uh, has some, you know, odd sexual proclivities, and he's a he loves scotch, and he but he used to chain smoke, and he's he's amended his ways quite quite a bit. Uh, but he's he's a guru. He, I mean, he, he would hate to hear me use that word, but he is for a lot of people like the Juan Tamaris of comedy. Of they go. They make a specific, specifically improv. Specifically Show improv. But he form. directed Second City. He directed Exit Fifty Seven, wow, which was a wow. TV show with Stephen Colbert and and Amy Sedaris. And he directed Martin Short's One Man Show off Broadway. I mean, he's directed and, and and been in charge of both scripted and 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 non-scripted. and non-scripted stuff. And so people would come and have this like odd moment with him, and then he'd like, you know, have just be so uh, <laughs> curt with them, just like so vulgar. And he, in a way, he kind of hates comedy. But 
I guess maybe Juan can relate to that too. The point is, he did the show called Skimprov. Okay, he put the show together. This is his, like, gay twisted fantasy show where throughout the show, it would start at midnight and, like, bachelorette parties would come and just, like, local perverts would come and sit in the back. And throughout the show, everybody would start with their clothes on and they would improvise the whole show. And by the end of the show, slowly but surely, everyone would take all their clothes off until at the very end, everybody is in their in their skittles. Including the crowd? No, no, no. Just the people on stage. <laughs> like, wow, I want to go to this show. Probably some people in the crowd. Yeah, you I never know. See what that was show. Going on. The lights were bright. You couldn't tell what was going on in the show. In the crowd. And it was kind of this, like... And I always... We always... All of us would make fun of the show. Because most of the people that did the show were, like, any, like, ripped gay dudes that Mick hung out with. And they were... I mean, some of them were really funny and some of them were not so funny. They just, you know, everybody wanted to see them with their clothes off. And he asked me to do the show one time. And it was sort of a challenge, like... Feeling comfortable naked? Not just feeling comfortable naked, making up shit naked, trying to do comedy while you're naked, being surrounded by a bunch of other dudes naked, some of whom are, like, professional bodybuilders. It sounds easy, though. (laughs) Well, for you, maybe it sounds... No! Well, so the point is, it it was terrifying, but I couldn't say no, because the whole idea, his whole philosophy is fuck fear. That's his whole... That's like, if I had to boil the book down to two... To two words is fuck fear, and so Which I is went FF. there. FF. Yeah, if we want to boil it down to two letters, yeah. And I did it. I did it, and uh, I got. I was up there, you know. I was up there shaking it in front of a whole bunch of strangers and trying to make jokes that uh, you know, pretending I was whatever. And was it easier or more difficult? You know what? Once I got up there, it wasn't so bad, but it was scary. I'm not gonna lie. It was no, definitely, it's definitely it's scary, and. It was a good thing to do because it's sort of jumping through that hoop of fire. And now, you know, my ad career, I've come across people, great creative directors, great account executives that you put them in front of six people in a room to present the project and they wither. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like once you've been on stage with no lines trying to make a crowd laugh in your underpants, what what can I what can scare me now? Yeah. So there was that trial by fire. And I think that was a big lesson for me is what's the worst that can happen? That's a huge lesson. On the flip side, I will tell you this. Partway through my comedy career in Chicago, it was revealed to me that Mick loves card tricks. Oh. And, and when he stopped smoking, he had this sort of fascination, like he needed something to do with his hands. And so he started playing with the cards all the time. And I kind of outed myself to him that I was sort of into card, into, into magic. I do this. Thing. Right? I'm kind of interested in magic. You know, if you, I have shelves and shelves of books at home. Let me show you some stuff. And so we started bonding over this then. Outside, like, totally, we had already established a relationship with the comedy, and, and I had known him for years, and then we started this deeper relationship with the magic, and we put together a show that was that ran at the theater. And he told me, and I agree with him, nothing is scarier on stage than performing a magic trick. Hmm. Because really? in comedy... If something goes wrong, it's funny, you know. And in magic, if something goes wrong, it, it bursts the bubble. It like the whole the stakes are much higher. The stakes are so high, and and the smallest mistake can ruin that illusion so completely. Everything comes crumbling and it's to the ground. And the whole show. And it affects the whole show, and like you feel like you've let the audience down, you've let yourself down, and so it's really you've let like all the magicians that came before you that taught you down. So there's an enormous amount of pressure with magic tricks. I always say it's like, it's like doing a puppet show on a unicycle. 
but you can't let the audience know you're on a unicycle or it ruins it for everyone. Yeah, so you've yeah. got this whole other layer going on that's really hard, that's taking a lot of physical and mental energy, and you've got to pretend like it's not even happening. And you have to do that at the beginning, too. You're not allowed to fuck up that's like right. young comedians are. That's right. That's right. Um, it's really hard. Magic is really, really hard. I think it's the hardest performing art because whether what any show you do, once you get up on stage, you've got to have choreography, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have good writing, blocking, there's got to be some sort of narrative or emotional journey to connect with the audience. So these are all the things that you have to do as any performer, a dancer, a singer, an actor. You, you have to, to cover all those bases. And then on top of that, you've got this secret stuff going on. Yeah, in the invisible technique yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah, the technique, the psychology, the pacing, all the sorts of considerations that the audience can't know about. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with a lot of magic is that that is so immense a responsibility that people stop there sometimes. They're like, okay, I got that. Now I don't need to worry about the showmanship or the pacing or the rhythm or the, the personal connection with the audience or whatever that that emotional journey or whatever all the things that you would continue and continue to hone as an actor or as a any, any sort of variety performer the most important parts for very well it's it is it's the duck on the water type of thing yeah, yeah. the audience only sees the duck above the water like magic is the little feet going so so hard behind beneath the water but no matter how perfect that technique of the swimming and however fast that duck can move the audience will only ever really appreciate what's happening above the water and exactly. so you need to you need to think about that and it's it's hard that's why magic is so freaking hard it's it, it's it's really difficult to do it in a way that shows respect to the technique, shows respect to the heritage of the art form, and at the same time advances it forward, connects with the audience, and presents it in a modern way. That's why, sad to say, there's so few like truly great modern magicians that can go up in front of any audience and just make them fall in love with magic. Uh, why is that? It's because it's, it's, it's a mystery man. to me. It's fucking hard. That's why. Is it? Is that why? I I really believe that's why. I really believe that's why. It, it has to be more than to me. I agree. It's hard, but there has to be more more than that. There has to be more more reasons why it's happening so often that we see bad magic. Like, well, you see bad magic a lot because you are a magician, and so you see a lot of magicians. Yeah. I would say the average person sees a magician every five years. Okay. So that's what's so sad about these guys that are that are really terrible is that they may be the only magician somebody sees and forever after that they're like that's I that's hate a magic. Magician they have. It's mm -hmm. the same with opera, right? How often do you see an opera? I see an opera quite often because Bill Kalush is generous with his tickets. <laughs> but, the, but you know, if same I, here, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, they're good seats, okay, by how, the way. How about, um, how about like modern dance? Modern dance, right? Huge spectrum of possibilities with modern dance. Like the Hubbard Street uh, Dance Company in Chicago, I think I saw some of them, and I forget I saw something like two years ago. But I really have not seen that much modern mm -hmm. dance in my life. So. Say I go to see a modern dance show, and it's a bad troupe. I don't. What am I to judge, right? I have no base. I have no. So they do something. It's weird. I don't like the music. Uh, you know, the, it's long, and I go, well, shit. I don't like modern dance because I don't see a lot of modern dance, and so that's all I've got you to like judge by. Dance? Yeah, no, I'm not crazy about it. Like <laughs> <laughs> you see, I love it because I was exposed to a lot of great. There you go. Yes. There you go. Didn't see Pina. I don't know what you're talking about. The movie? No. Oh, it's amazing. Well, I, I clearly I need to go out and see some more modern dance. It's beautiful. But 
people don't feel that way about magic and there's not that many opportunities like if mm. I go back to New York and I say I'm gonna go see some modern dance there's probably quite a few options but magic is so rare that I mean on any given month you got maybe two three opportunities to see magic in New York but there's quite a, quite a bunch now you have you know Dan White doing the right Dan White's that. doing his thing and you have Steve Cohen doing the wall draw sure sure Steve Cohen hi Steve <laughs> love Steve Cohen a plug, go see it. Yeah. Friday, is it Friday, Saturday? That is actually a great date night. I mean, that yeah. is a great thing to go and see. I've sent Just quite a few that, people. That space is amazing. The space is amazing. amazing. You got to dress up. It's all very elegant. Uh, I really like um, Steve's show. I recommend it highly. But even still, let's say there's four a week. That's that's not that much. Yeah. And and most people don't seek it out. And so when you have a guy that's bad that's out there doing 20 shows a month, he's he's like doing more bad than good for the art yes. and so that was why I started performing more in earnest lately and, and hitting the comedy clubs because I feel this weird responsibility to show people it's not what they think it is yeah I mean not to I, I don't know how to say that without sounding like a like a pompous ass but you are so go with it true and true we I should just, be. Just, we ought ought to be just, just be who you are just okay I'm on a podcast right how are. Are. Like, this is not this is not the time you to can be always edit it out but we won't right we won't, of course I, I mean <laughs> I feel that that I don't I don't necessarily need the magic up on stage but I ha I want to bring it in there because I love it it's amazing no, 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 it's, it, it's such a beautiful beautiful art form it is and Part of the reason I feel that way is because it's one of the only ways to elicit a controlled re reaction of astonishment. Yeah. It's the same thing you feel like when somebody hits a half-court shot at the buzzer. Yeah. But how rare is that? Think about all the things that need to happen for that moment to be like, what? And you feel this moment of just complete disbelief. It's not because you think it's impossible, but it, in the same way of magic, it is, it is that same feeling of impossibility that this mm -hmm. could not... I cannot believe that this happened yeah and magic can do that True. it's a really powerful emotion and uh, what a wonderful cathartic experience it is if you can if you can if you can embrace that feeling in the right way and mm -hmm. it really takes us uh, it takes a lot to get an audience to a place where they can let that land with them and really let it wash over them but when you can and I've seen you do it and I've seen other people do it and I want to get to that point too where people are sitting in the audience just like getting that warm fuzzy feeling that when you were a little kid and and you know you you, you, you see that bubble for the first time and it's just just mind-blowing so I love that part of it and I really do love magic. I have a deep love for magic and and what I don't love is like the, the ego the magician type of character and that sort of power trip that comes along with it which is part of the reason I'm so drawn to designing impossible objects and puzzles that don't require a person to be amazing mm -hmm. so um, God I've talked a lot can I ask you a question yeah of yeah. course uh, I've, it's a sequence of three and a half questions three and a half and they're all related okay so what have you learned about magic from the moment you start doing improv like how improv changed your magic <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean to interrupt on my show but well, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just a guy. is way too polite on his own podcast. Well, no, I just, I, I was going to say the reason that I love it when comedians do magic or magicians take up comedy yeah, is yeah. because comedians read the audience and they're in tune with what's happening in the room. So yeah, for magicians sure. Are you realize what happened? I asked you a question and he answered it basically. I answered yeah. it for you. And yeah. that, well, that's so what well, I just want to. I, I, I don't know. Do. I don't know. I, I, to me, uh, you know, improv and magic, I had this a long discussion with somebody years ago about jazz magic. 
Yeah. Okay. I think jazz magic is bullshit. <laughs> really? Okay. Go I, there. I, I Let's do. go there. I, I yeah, think yeah. jazz magic is bullshit because it's not really jazz. I mean, you're improvising. Absolutely. You are okay. improvising. You are finding solutions in the moment, right? But those are from a set tree of possibilities. But isn't it what jazz players do as well? I'm not a musician, but I've heard that they have... They have those tools, and they can move from one loop to... Like, they they, they know they, the key they're playing Yeah, this, it's not like they're inventing the whole piece from scratch. No, no, to- totally, totally. But I think the difference is that there is true discovery. I think to, to, to truly improvise, you have, to, you have to have that element of discovery, and you have to have that element of unknown uh, outcomes. Okay. Whereas with magic, with jazz magic, what you're really doing is problem solving. You're really in, in an incredibly uh, uh, fluid and, and, uh, and quick way solving problems. Because you know where you want to go. You know where you need to go, okay. for the most part. You know where you need to go, the card needs to be found, or you need to get this number, or you need them to land on this place, or you need them to choose this pile, or whatever it is. So the outcome is kind of known, but you take a circuitous route to get there, or you don't know how you're going to get there, but you know where you're going to get to. Whereas with improv comedy, you don't know where the hell you're going to go. Sometimes it comes back around, sometimes it doesn't, but there's just, I feel like the difference is that in, in magic, when you improvise, you're thinking, what tool am I going to use? What is right for this situation? Right? In, what will I... This is an improv. This is an, a magic. In magic. When you're, when you're improvising with magic, you're like, what... Well, it could go this best, way. Yeah. It could go this way. Which which is the best way to go? Whatever they do, I will seamlessly and organically move on to this known set of circumstances to get to where I need to go. And that there's absolutely an element of improvisation there, but I don't know that there's necessarily an element of discovery. Hmm. And to me, that's what's really beautiful about improv is you didn't know you wound up in a place you didn't ever know you could get to. And that's what is really exciting about it. when you see very good high level improv, which is just as rare as good magic, by the way. It seems like magic because you're like, how the fuck did they get there? How did that come to be? And so that's the difference for me. I think there's skill sets that apply to both, but magic is, is extremely structured, right? You, you need that climax, otherwise it's not a magic trick. Whereas with improv, you really don't know where it's going to go. You really don't know where it's going to end. Uh, and so it, in that way, it's inherently different to me. But I, I've heard from comedians like that do improv a lot it's very much like you know our experience where you get the same questions you get the same well, so the there's some re- repetitiveness that, that, that well, you're talking you've about said something and you're going to use it again and for again for sure well, you, well you're talking about two different things you're talking about short form improv which is like whose line is it anyway with the yes, bell yes, 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 yes. and the games I've never done that okay so what are you talking about it, it, what I did and um, what's it's called long form improv if we're getting real technical about it mm-hmm. or, or the herald right? right I guess you didn't hear me what is that I what asked is, earlier what is long form, form? no what is, oh. were you doing short form no I've never Adam, done short answer form. the questions Sorry. you're <laughs> here to answer the Jesus could you questions. just put the gun down for a second it would <laughs> no. just relax me we're trying to get somewhere with this alright alright um, do you have a towel <laughs> so I I think that uh, the the distinction is, is can be sort of vague but generally with long form improv or sometimes they call it the herald there's different forms there's different names for the forms but the essential difference is that there's less structure 
So in a, in a game, in a short-form game, it might be there's something like there's rules, there's somebody comes out and explains the, the parameters before you begin, and then there's little pieces that happen. Which with long-form improv, generally what happens is that there's a suggestion taken, whether it's one word or it's some sort of idea generation that the free form is, is performed on stage and then it's pulled from that, that for 20 to 30 minutes, the players will make stuff up and, and form scenes and patterns and organically create different tableaus or or patterns or whatever the hell that they're doing up there without any sort of interruption or without any sort of um, further input. Mm. So that's the difference. Interesting. Um, and it can be extremely painful and boring to watch. But when it's good, it's great. Like I said, as rare to see so, good So, so you, as you basically learned so far that that kind of improv cannot exist in magic. But even though you realize that, okay, this is not where it doesn't parallel, but did you learn something from those improvs and use it in magic? Definitely. In a way that, like, for example? Absolutely. And that's what I was sort of touching on with Elliot earlier, is, is that the, the thought process of improv and that those sort of, those mental muscles that you develop and those sorts of approaches that you develop are really invaluable for idea generation. Not just for magic, but for anything. I use that sort of thinking and that sort of approach every single day in my ad career. And it would drive people crazy sometimes because, you know, I'd go off for an hour or two hours and come back with a huge amount of ideas and work done because you don't, you just can't judge right away. There's this, I used to get so frustrated with people because when I was training young creatives in the agency, they would start, they would say something and the second they said it, they would start judging it. And destroying the it's thing they just created. That is a mistake. And I would say, what do you do? This look, it's a baby bird, okay? When it first comes out of your brain, it's a baby bird, you gotta nurture it to see if it's gonna fly. It might not. It might die in the nest, but you if you squash it right away, it's never gonna turn into anything. Yeah. And so I think that's a mistake people make a lot of the time when they're trying to generate ideas, is that in the generation phase, they bring in too much judgment. You have to really eliminate judgment when you're first trying to just build a mass your thoughts, when you're just trying to just fill pages or fill the wall. I like to write on the wall. That's like my favorite thing. Is how, how satisfying is that? You start in a, a room with white walls and then you just fill the walls with, it might be worthless. I mean, the next day you might come in and be like, this is all gibberish. <laughs> but uh, So but, maybe the analogy is like, it's when you have a kid like a toddler and he, he does a drawing and go, wow, that's amazing. Exactly. It's beautiful. That's, that's how right. you treat your ideas. That's right. And you nurture it because they might turn into that painter that walks around and everybody thinks true. they're a great painter. But they never will if you start telling them they're no good yeah. right away. That is true. Uh, so that, that approach I think is really helpful for magic, not just for presentation, and this is going to sound crazy, but also for methodology. Of course. Because sometimes you have a method and you're like, it doesn't work. Right, you try it and it doesn't work. It's like almost like the uh, the empty fairer, correct? Sure. I mean, how ridiculous is that? It's move? a ridiculous idea. Like, just think about how he came up with it. It 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 has to have been a ridiculous idea, like somebody thinking that they can spring the cars and and cause them to empty fairer. That's it's crazy. It has to come from that bird who definitely cannot fly and you would have should have killed it right right long away say, ago oh, right come on, long ago this is not going to happen exactly. this is craziness and exactly. then there's like three people yeah. in the world who can do it yeah <laughs> yeah man i mean it's 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 really valuable to to in that generation phase delay any judgment and just let that stuff breathe for a minute and then when you come back to it 
you'll find some affinity for something. There'll be some spark for one thing you wrote or drew or taped or said or made, and and you gotta follow that instinct, right? If you 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 can never know what other people are gonna like. Sure. Only what you're gonna like. How do you shut that instinct off to squash it? How do you practice? Not judging. Somebody. Well, there's some great. There actually are some great exercises in mixed book about how to improvise by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds sort of nuts, What's but the one name of the, the book do you know? it's called improvise. Oh, easy. yeah, it's called improvise. There's a new one out that's really great too, uh, and I don't know the name of it. I mean, it's just come out. I think Bob Odenkirk wrote the okay. forward for it. Stephen Colbert wow. wrote the forward nice. for the the previous one. There's new editions. They're really beautifully designed. They they look great. Uh, and I'm sure they're available on Amazon. The thing he talks about in there and, and the thing that sounds a little nuts is that one of the best ways to learn to improvise by yourself is just by talking to yourself. And yeah. it's a great way to just get your ideas out there and just sort of have these discussions with yourself. And you can take it to the extreme like Stuart James did and have like these imaginary friends that all have different personalities that give you different sort of creative perspectives so you have your own little so <laughs> collaboration. As long as, as, long as you don't do it in public, you're good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or just buy a Bluetooth headset and then you can do it wherever the hell you want. Pretend like you're talking to a new... Yeah, yeah. I have 100% done that walking down the streets in New York, but nobody gives a crap in New York. That's the yeah, greatest thing. <laughs> in New York, you can talk to yourself. Because there are many creative people in There's New York. There's a lot of creatives. They <laughs> do improv yeah, on the right, street with right. themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they don't have a friend. They have crowds, that's correct? Right. That's right. Because they project their voice and they talk really loud. And it's a good way to get space on the subway, too, if you're feeling crowded. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. That doesn't. <laughs> no, not no, so much. I don't think so. So I have to go extreme. <laughs> so what's? Uh, so you had two, three and a half questions. I'm not sure how many we got through. Oh, uh, but I'm curious about the half question. Okay, so the Me second, too. the second question is. Um, oh, okay. So your your obsession with improv, kind of like suppressed the the obsession you had with magic. Did that push it away? Did you do less magic because of it? No, not really. Uh, when I was in Chicago, I pr- think I was most productive. It was probably the most productive time of my life in generating magic, generating new material. And maybe it has to do with what I was just talking about. It also probably just has to do with the fact that Stan asked me to write a column for magic, and so I had a deadline every month, and so I felt this sort of latent pressure to create stuff and also just to dig through the old notebooks and find all the stuff that I never wrote up before. So that was a really productive time for me creatively, and I think I've come up with, I came up with some of my best stuff during that time period And it was also a time where I met Gabe Fuhuri in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I got introduced to a whole... I, I kind of got introduced to the, the history of the art and really got interested in the, the artifacts and the legacy of some of these really... Go- of the Golden Age performers and then discovered uh, Martin Gardner mm. and Stuart James and these kind of guys that are, are, are really inspirational to me started going to the gathering for Gardner, got invited to the to the 31 Faces North and met Derek Delgadio and David Benn and Michael Weber, who are, are guys that were hugely influential on me as an adult even because I felt like I was in the back room. I felt like I was like in the inner sanctum and, and was just listening as much as possible and, and sharing stuff and then getting feedback on what I was sharing. It gave me a great confidence in what I was creating that these guys who I had always had so much respect for were responding positively to it. So uh, I would say that mag- I've, I've certainly become more involved in magic after, after college and, and while I was in Chicago and now in New York, it's just such a great place to be. 
there's so many great magicians in New York right now. Noel Levine and, and um, Steve Schiffo and Matt Prakash. These guys are just awesome to just to be around. There's another guy with an A. I forget his name. Um, Jewish guy. I forget. Uh, anyway. That Israeli guy, no? Uh, Is he Israeli? I think so, yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, I, I think that they, they were parallel. They did, they didn't, one didn't push away from the other in, in any way. I think that the improv gave me a lot of confidence on stage, gave me a lot of, um, of, of skills that helped me present. And then, of course, like we talked about before, there's all the, um, the hard work to be done to make the trick work and, and right and perfect and, and seamless to make it seem like nothing is happening that, that isn't apparently happening. Except for the impossible part, which is like the magic trick part of it. So my half question is, yeah. who's listening to this podcast? Right now, two of us at one point or yeah. another are listening yeah. to no, it. Who, who do you think were the, the kind of people who listen to this podcast? The kind of people that I want to listen to it and that I, I think will be interested in it are people that are maybe into magic, maybe just into performing and, and, and learning about uh, different people's experiences with you know, performance theory coming mm -hmm. from maybe comedy or, you know, deep theater, um, acting, things like that. And just kind of getting to the heart of, of why magic is important, why it's powerful, and how it can be influential, where it's not just about, you know, here's a, a color change. It can be something much more. Well, that's something I, I, I don't want to sound like a fogey. And I probably am twice the age of most of the guys that are going to listen to this podcast. But maybe, maybe not. I don't think maybe. so. I don't maybe know. Not. But yeah. but but You're pretty young. How old are you? I'm 32. Pretty young. You're younger than me. Yeah, but I'm a billion seconds old. Oh. Yeah. That's the nice thing about it. so uh, 30th birthday is kind of the last one that counts for a while. Which one? 30th. Yeah. You know, when you're 30, I you got to wait till 40, it's right? A big change. It's a but when you're 31.6 you turn a billion seconds old. So it's a really good excuse to have a party. <laughs> Did you figure that by yourself or someone told you about this? I was wondering about it. I was wondering when I was going to turn a billion seconds old and I, I did the math and that you were like 31.6. That yeah. makes you a true Asi, did you geek. not know that I was a geek? I know you're a geek, but that makes Improv. you... <laughs> Come on, man. Did you seconds. know you're a billion seconds old? <laughs> yeah. And you were waiting for that. That's Dude, amazing. Come on. You should look at my Netflix queue. You'd be like, what's wrong with this guy? It's like <laughs> all David Attenborough documentaries and space <laughs> stuff. So as the lamb, exactly. <laughs> I love that guy. I, if he's I was going to have a dinner with any three living people, he's alive still, right? Yes. Yeah, I would be him, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Stephen Colbert. That would be my all at the same time. That would be great. Uh, so, uh, but we were talking about podcasts. Who's going to listen? And I, I hate to admit, but I was talking to Elliot before. It's like I don't, I, I can't listen to podcasts. Why? Because I'm a writer. Right? Okay. So when I'm working, I have to I have to write words. If there's words playing, I can't even listen to music with words. I'll start typing those words. They're oh, distracting me. Right? You can't yeah. write while you're listening to words. For me, for me, I listen to a lot of like um, jazz and, and classical music. This American and Life can't do it. Yeah. Can't wow. do it because either I won't know what I'm writing or I won't know what they're saying. I can't do both at once. So you need to be like in a jail cell. Pretty much. No distraction. I like no to phones. be. I, I listen to them in my car or like when I'm cooking dinner right. or something like that. So I have an idea. Yeah. Transcribe the whole thing and publish it on your Facebook. 
That would be it. Would just be meaningless <laughs> drivel. Don't you realize, like how how ineloquent and like, and like rambling everything we're saying is? It's funny. But I, I tried the other day. My girlfriend loves podcasts, and yeah. she was listening to one. And I and it, it's like I'm like a deer in headlights when they're on. I can't process conversation. I can't do anything. I like don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm like, what? I could look at a book of photography, maybe. That would be the only thing. Because I don't drive, right? I'm in the, I'm in the city. I don't drive. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, so I don't really listen to podcasts. For the sake of balance and for the listeners, yeah. if we have any. Um, I love podcasts. Good. Continue. Good, good, good. <laughs> Clearly, uh, I do too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I you guys, them. I'm glad. I'm glad. What's your favorite podcast? Honestly. Yeah, what do you like? <laughs> um, Just so you can get into it, man. I like uh, this American Life. This American American American. I've listened to it before, and yeah. I really enjoy I, it. I love. I, I do like it. I just don't find time for it now because since I quit my job, I don't even have a commute in the morning. I used to listen to stuff on the walk mm-hmm. into work, but part of me just really likes to be present and aware of the sounds of the city when you're walking around New York. That There's is interesting. So idea. much mm-hmm. interesting stuff going on. There's so much inspiration just in the little things that are happening around. There's a million stories in the city as they say so and it's quite a noisy city it's quite a noisy city but you know i'm down in the village so it's not quite as noisy but there's just a lot it's so dense there's such a fabric of humanity there that you see a million kinds of things happening walking 20 blocks to get to work and so uh, now i don't even have that commute anymore i should maybe just fabricate a commute and walk around the neighborhood for 20 minutes to listen to a podcast good on many reasons yeah i do like getting out of there i like taking the walks it's my favorite thing to do is just walk around new york that's Mm -hmm. that's to me, that's the most fertile, creative time, and and time for thinking is just walking around, in uh, in the f- in nature, ideally. But I don't live in the middle of the woods yet. You can go to a fabricated nature in Central Park. Yeah, yeah, or just beautiful. Walk around, uh, walk around Morton and, and Leroy and all the tree-lined streets, the squiggly little streets down there. I like that too. The half question was was. Really, a full question. I have no, to say. but the question is this: I mean, so if we first, I want to know who are the listeners. Yeah. And then you said that they're interested in in improving or or hearing other views on performance. Mm-hmm. So then, what would you say to them from your like advice that comes from your experiences as a writer, as an improv comedy? Uh, well, the the first thing would be perform. Perform. Mm-hmm. I would love to see some of these guys perform. I, I know I don't know that it's been tried that many times, but you know, get up and, and like be on a stage. It's so much different. There's yeah. so many things that you will learn, and vice versa. I mean, when I was acting in Chicago, I did a couple equity productions where I was acting in shows, and whether it was from the comedy, but I think it was more from the magic. Just being so aware of the audience. You have to be aware of the audience. You mentioned that comedians are aware of the audience. Well, magicians, if they're any good, yep. have to be aware of the audience. Absolutely. Because I got to tell you, man, you will almost never feel the amount and precision of control when you have that card in your hand and you haven't turned it around yet. I mean, you have everyone's attention. You control that moment to the millisecond, and you don't get that experience very often yeah. as a comedian. As a as a as an actor, people experience things at different times. Whether they laugh in a different way, how they appreciate the humor or the drama. But with magic, like you turn that card around, and instantly everybody is feeling that same thing. And that's really uh, you have to be extremely self-aware to know and control those moments in a, in a savvy way. Mm-hmm. But 
get up on stage and perform like I don't know where I mean open mics or or community theaters or just even do some performing that's not magic related but just get up in front of an audience I'd love to see somebody take some of this cardistry stuff and turn it in and, and see what happens if it becomes more theatrical mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of possibility I, I, for that so with you I think that that art form is, is a young art form and has so much more room to grow into you know it's like it it it's they need to create a venue for for that art from the platform for sure for sure it doesn't have the constraints the magic or really any art form yet it doesn't have its own self maintained and built constraints. yeah it's 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 so aesthetic that there that to me it's got more possibility than magic because with magic people need to hear you for the most part they need to hear you they need to kind of be paying attention to the narrative or give you some sort of mental energy to know that something happened that couldn't possibly happen whereas with cardistry like it's so it's such an aesthetic exercise that it could be a part of something else it can mm -hmm. be ambient it could be just beautiful for beauty's sake i mean my friend ben in, in new york has taken photos of these guys and it's, just, it's very beautiful mm -hmm. it's like architectural almost i mean absolutely there's a lot of really cool stuff going on and one of the things that's so nice about it is that i i don't i mean you can back me up on this like there was a long time where there was almost no aesthetic awareness in magic. Just the packaging, mm -hmm. just the like the catalogs, the the props were just the so gaudy and like way outmoded and really uh, just hideous. And now there's a much more elevated sense of design. Mm -hmm. Some of this stuff is, is, is beautiful. Some of it's more beautiful than it is practical, or more beautiful than it is it is mm -hmm. useful. But at least it's beautiful. Yeah, I like that. And that's really nice. But I, I I would love to see more guys trying to uh, gain more exposure for mm -hmm. the art form to, to a lay audience. Sure. It's uh, It feels a little insular right now. It feels like an insular moment in magic where a lot of magicians just make up magic tricks for other magicians to buy. And there's, there's just not as much of a focus on performing. Mm -hmm. At least not from the real innovators. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably a myopic point of view. I only see what, what, I don't really go and seek out a lot of this stuff, and I'm in New York, and so I only know really what's going on around there, but some of the guys that are the most technically innovative are also the guys that probably have been seen by the fewest number of, of audience members. Yeah. But as far as the writing goes, it's great, and I, I my biggest piece of advice to any performer is to write, write out your scripts. You'd be amazed. So that's another thing that I've heard, you know, on both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. People who write their script word for word. Yeah. And people who just write kind of bullets, like, I'm going to go go from A, B to C, an outline of the... So what are your thoughts on those two approaches? I think that when you perform, the script is, can totally go out the window. But I think as an intellectual exercise, it's hugely beneficial to write every word every single word because it forces you to really think about what you're saying mm. and find an economy of language that you might in bullets you might say okay it's going to be this this and this is three things and then you talk for 15 minutes so and you might be redundant right you're repeating this. yourself and you're unclear and you're and you're bloviating whatever it is but if you write it all out whether you ever say it exactly that way it helps you to clarify in your mind what information needs to be communicated in what order and when. And so that's really beneficial. And 
people say, oh, they don't want to. I don't want to lose the spontaneity, or I don't want it to sound. I want to sound too robotic, or well, that's acting. It's acting. That's difficult. It's very difficult. But like I said, you don't necessarily need to say exactly how you write it. Some people do. Some people don't. But I think very few magicians, especially magicians, write scripts, and it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful because it it, it it you'll take it's a totally different way of thinking about what you're doing. Looking at the words, actually, David Ben gave me a really great piece of advice, which was when I was writing my club act, I was f- having trouble formatting the script. <laughs> Such a, like a dumb writer problem to have, but I couldn't figure out how to write the script, but also include the secret shit like the tricky stuff, in the script without breaking up the script. And he gave me a great piece of advice, which was that to format it like uh, tech cues. Yeah. So my script, every moment in my show is scripted. Every single thing that I do, say, movements, everything. That's just how I like to work. Now, if you saw the show, and a lot of people that do see the show, they're like, what the hell went wrong? That didn't go. Like, how did you know what was going to happen? It feels, hopefully, it feels extemporaneous. Hopefully it feels like it's the first time I've said a lot of that stuff. But it's not at all. <laughs> Even the That's mistakes, good. of That's course, great. scripted. But the tech script, just like you would have for lighting cues, if, if some of the listeners aren't familiar, in a, in a tech script for a theater show, the, the tech guy, like the lighting guy, let's say, he has on a pa- piece of paper a line of dialogue that leads into the cue. Maybe it's like, turn on the spotlight. Let's make it simple. So when the guy says... Get your break. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I do is I replace all the, the tech cues with my, my slights. That's great. Whether it's psychology or it's uh, physical manipulation, all of that, it has the dialogue that leads into it or the action that leads into it and then what has to happen that um, that is, is under the surface. And it had a secondary benefit, which was really great that I didn't realize is that now I have this script that says everything that's going to happen in the show along with the lighting cues and all that stuff that I can use for rehearsal when I'm rehearsing with somebody that's not a magician. And none of the stuff is confusing to them or revealed that shouldn't be revealed. It's just everything you would see. Everything you would see happening. And then I have this other document that's everything you don't see. Mm-hmm. So here's something that I'm sure a lot of... I'm sorry for no, no, no. <laughs> Almost like taking it. over Take it. Yeah, please. Um, but I'm just curious. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Here's something I, I can find a lot of people will, will struggle with, yeah. me included. Um, so, yeah, you can write your dialogue and this and this. W- what happens when you start communicating? Like, you know, I need to get a specter on stage and I'm going to ask some questions. I don't know what they're going to answer. Right. So how do you write that script? Well, that's, that's the fun discovery of magic. That's what's so wonderful about magic is that you get to deal with real people. And those are when you have to have, when you get to have real moments of discovery. And when you're present in that moment, and, and somebody that I think is so great at this is Derek Hughes. When he gets somebody up there, he is listening to them, and he's there with them. They're not just a prop. He's they're not just taking that thing. He's listening to them. And he's ready to like have a moment with this person. Have a real they conversation. Now, they are now a part of the show. Yeah. They're on stage just as much as you are. And people, you know, magicians are notorious for belittling. They're spectators. These people that have volunteered, right? Mm -hmm. In some cases, not even volunteered. In some cases, they've been forced up there. They had no choice in the matter. And then you're going to get up there and make fun of them and tell them not to talk. It's like, well, what the hell? I've seen that happen before. Right. I mean, that happens all the time. And 
let them talk, man. Sometimes they say really funny stuff. Sometimes they'll say things that you're going to steal and then you say in the next show. Yeah, of course. And so... And it's it's okay to let them shine. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you can do that, the audience will love it. If you have the confidence as a performer to let that audience member take the show for a moment or a few moments, as long as they're not destroying what you're trying to build uh, or totally distracting from it or just being a jerk about it, why not? Mm-hmm. It, it, every show is different, right? And that's one of the great things about magic is you have this element of total chaos, which is the audience participation. So, so, so how do you write it? So you, do you write, I, I ask this question, you can write the question, and then you write improvise. Well, <laughs> I don't know because, you know, it depends how open-ended the question is, right? If you're asking the person, like, what's your deepest fear? Sure. It's hard to anticipate cool, what they sure. might say. But let's go back to the improv for a second. Why not pretend you're that person or a bunch of different people and give yourself a bunch of answers? So what's your deepest, deepest so, fear? So what's your deepest fear? Giant squid under the sea. I just, I fear. You do fear that? I think about giant squid under the sea. There's no, no way to really escape. No, but you really fear that? Yeah, because they've got the beaks. They've got the giant eyes. They've got horns. You know, the like claws on the tentacles. The tentacles, they sting you. I mean, every weapon an animal could have, they've got it. Plus true. you're and deep under the sea and it's dark. So yeah, that's pretty scary. Now... That's one answer you might get. <laughs> Another one might be What's death. What's your deepest fear? Same. You really? really? Yeah, I know. Squids? Giant squids and tidal waves. And then together, it's like a massive Whoa, like a tidal wave with a squid fun. in it? Yeah, it's like Sharknado. I don't know what's my biggest fear. Really? Cockroaches. Really? Yeah, I hate them. I see them, I move out. I pack. Water bugs and cockroaches are... are it's the same thing for Yeah, me. they're no yeah. good. I also don't like the, the silverfish. Oh, yeah. Really? All the legs. Yeah. No, those are like... You like them. The long ones that they have many legs? Yeah. They're cute. No. Not in your bathroom? No. I don't mind them. That's interesting. I don't like insects. So what like is it about why see. a silverfish is okay, but a cockroach is no They're good? They're disgusting. I don't know why. I guess it's a trauma from childhood. Huh. Because to me, those things are like pretty... What about spiders? I love I love spiders. You love spiders. See, I love things with many legs. So there's something about <laughs> that, and, and how about like a grasshopper or something like that? They're beautiful. Too. They're beautiful. So there's something in the the cockroach shape or just the, the texture and the texture, the crunchy. Yeah, I guess the, I don't know. Like it's a beetle? Really Is it a beetle? Like beetles. You like beetles? Those so are slow if, moving creatures yeah. generally. Which one? The ones that you like, and then... No, the cockroaches are fast. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the cockroaches are I guess I have no control over them. That's a good... That's a good uh, so it's a, it's a control thing. You said there was something from your childhood. Yeah, I remember as a kid when I saw them, I was so scared. Like, my heart will race. Interesting. That might be an association thing. Really? I mean... Should I quit magic? I think what you need to do... <laughs> you need to quit magic, move to a mountaintop, shave your head... <laughs> Start pissing into a bucket. So that's his script? That's what you're going to write? It, that's it, man. Uh, no, one of my favorite things is writing for magicians and, like, helping other magicians because... Now, I don't, I'm not saying, like, call me up. I want to go direct a magic yeah. show. But some of my good friends that are amazingly great magicians, sitting down with them and working on their show is so satisfying because, as a magician, it's, it's, there's a lot of responsibility on you creatively. You gotta write the script. You gotta be the performer. You gotta be the producer. You gotta be the tech director. You gotta be the choreographer. The the director of just like on top of yourself to rehearse and the wardrobe designer. I mean, holy cow. You'd have a cast of, you'd have a, like a team of 20 people to do that for any regular theatrical production. So working with somebody as a magician or as an outsider working with a magician, it's refreshing 
because you don't get to do it that often. And, and most times it's a totally new experience for them, especially if they're doing something, some material they're pretty familiar with. So the technical part is kind of there, just taking creatively what's the stage picture, what's the narrative, what's the emotional sure, sure. journey for the audience. You can make huge leaps and strides just by having another brain for on sure. the problem. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, my friend Noah in, in New York is doing this great show. Which that I, I really want to go see. It's so too. good. It's so, so, so where, good. Just for the listeners, where is that show? So that show is happening. It's an after-hour show in Tannen's Magic Shop that happens where he unlocks the store after after hours is closed down. He brings people like up. like 7, 8? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it starts at, I think it starts at 7. Cool. And, or 8. I'm not, I'm not sure. I should know that. How but long is he doing the show? Because this won't go every, live until like next month. He's doing it every Thursday. Okay. So he should still so be doing it. So then I'm going to then. Okay, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah it, it really is great. It's a very unique experience. You're in this cool space because most people have never been in a magic shop before, let alone one that's in this sort of labyrinthine hallway Sounds above the sleepies. It's very cool. It's 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 not it's not the same vibe at all as Steve Cohen's show because that's a very opulent kind of fancy setting, but it's the same idea where the the, the setting for the show really colors the show. And Noah's just a really wonderful close-up magician. He's such a, like a warm personality. People really have been responding positively to the show, so that's good. I hope it grows and grows. That's great. Is that it? <laughs> we have to finish with a big bang. Big bang. Uh, crap. Okay. So it's your. Well, I, have, I have. Well, no, I have notes. There are other things that I. Want yeah, I guess about, I haven't really talked about, about the book. And it, it was. It was Emma Watson. Watson. Okay. Emma Thompson is like a li- big old English lady. I have an idea yeah, for, for we'll say finish. Elliot hasn't gotten to ask any questions yet. No, ask, 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 ask. Sorry. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious gonna, I'm going to go. Well, You're going to go. Ask we'll your say, big we're gonna, question and then we'll answer it later. No, no, no. You, my, my suggestion is that we're all going to do an improv at the end. For okay. like two minutes on a subject or something. And okay, you, that's you fine. Do it. <laughs> okay. I, I was interested in a little bit of your advertising career. And then, then I also want to talk about the two of those books. Right. Right. Um, well, and just kind of those creative outlets. So advertising is a great way to earn a living, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really interesting subject to study. It taught me a lot about business and marketing and different... You learn all sorts about different industries and things because you're assigned to work on them mm-hmm. by different clients. And so from fast food to steel to mm-hmm. healthcare to soft drinks and insurance and children's toys. I mean, it's just you just sure. deep dive into these subjects and learn all sorts of crap that you never really knew about because you've got to convince people to buy them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but it was it, it is a great it is a great industry if you can if you can cut it because you get to collaborate with a bunch of really smart people, mm-hmm. a lot of talented people, and it's fast-paced and it's challenging and it's always different. But a lot of people get burnt on it. And that's that's why I was glad to to kind of be done with it before that happened to me because it's it can be extremely emotionally draining. Uh, you sometimes put in enormous amounts of work for not much result, yeah. and you often work so tirelessly on something, become so passionate about it, and it becomes so all-encompassing that when the client inevitably screws it up, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And you have you have to kind of become numb to that experience. And what happens to people that stay in it too long is they just become numb to everything. They become very jaded. Sure. And it's extremely frustrating. Uh, the other thing that sometimes happens is that they become convinced that they're a genius mm-hmm. because they've made a television commercial or sold a multi-million dollar ad campaign or something. And most of the time, it's not that great. Uh, I, I'd say if you get one good thing done a year that you're proud of, that's pretty damn good. 
pretty good hit percentage. Right before I left, I did a uh, campaign for Audible from concept to execution. It was it was called uh, Stories That Surround You, and it was TV, print, radio, web, all these different sorts of things. And you know, listening to these audiobooks transports you to this other place in time. And it was mm-hmm. it was really fun to shoot, and it was really a satisfying campaign experience. And but that was like at the peak of my powers. You know, I was like a seasoned creative director. I had been in the industry for ten years. Building up to that, it's just you just get beat down from all sides, from the lawyers, from the clients, from the from the account executives, from the and and you just sometimes you just feel like you're banging your head against the wall because you just can't get anything done. Sure. Uh, so that can be insanely frustrating. That's why it was so wonderful to discover this side outlet of, of children's books because mm-hmm. I had in in some ways I had complete creative control sure. collaborating with Dan Dan Salmeri who's my my uh, partner and my illustrator that I work with but who's great he's great he's yeah, a yeah. wonderful dude he's just we've become extremely good friends but it was a nice antidote to the advertising mm-hmm. but the thing about the writing the books is this very isolated exercise I sit in a room and I stare at a computer screen or I stare at a notebook on a plane and I'm writing stuff and there's no feedback and advertising is sort of the opposite of that where you get to work with all these people that are very much experts at whatever it is they do whether it's graphic design or typography or uh, motion graphics or lighting design or cinematography and that's really cool because you learn a lot from that from all those different people as long as you can check your ego and, and defer to them sure which is something some people have trouble with as well in, in advertising but it's it's a great I'd say it's a great field of study it's a great place to to go you just have to be ready for how turbulent it is it can be really rough traveling a lot and a lot of um, stress and a lot Mm -hmm. of uh, pressure but if you can kind of rise above it and and just know that it's a job and and not get too mentally taxed from it it can be extremely exciting Really but you're glad that you're... you're I'm glad. I'm glad I'm out of it. Mostly because the freelance lifestyle is just so glorious. <laughs> Nobody told me for 10 years. Like, why didn't you tell me, man? You should have told me. You never asked. I, I should have <laughs> asked. You, you do whatever you want all the time. For the most part, yeah. It's great. I mean, it is really the American dream. It's the, the world's dream. It's yeah. everybody's dream. Wow. It, 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 I, I, I can't tell you how lucky I feel. I just hope people keep buying books and that they keep liking the books that I write. Um, because it is, it's so mentally nourishing. You know, you want to go to a museum, you want to like watch a, a three-part documentary on the fall of the Byzantine Empire. You can do that, and and that sort of stuff really fuels your creativity. Really fuels your mind. It's, it's a great it's lifestyle. Great lifestyle. Great lifestyle. If you can, if you can, if you can do it. How much time are you spending recreating for inspiration in that way, or you know, over? sitting down and doing work for I work in fits and spurts I I really do you know uh, I'm not the kind I I don't know what's going to happen I'm starting on a much much more intense and long term project Mm -hmm. in the next three months so in in, ask me in the spring (laughs) but but right now I I don't need to be extremely regimented because when I am feeling inspired on a project I'll work on it for 18 hours straight and when I'm not feeling inspired I don't put that pressure on myself or beat myself up about taking a walk or going to a museum or like going you know halfway across town to go get a a turkey sandwich because I heard it's really good so I think it's all about balance but I'm way new way super new I mean it's only been 12 months for me and a lot of that was spent on 
book tours doing promotion and a lot of that was kind of like scheduled out travel and things like that so i'm i'm not really the guy to talk to you about how well to, it sounds like it's just about allowing the process you know, yeah whatever i, I hope so i mean i'm starting on a much longer book mm-hmm. soon and i've never written anything as long as i'm planning to do so it may have to be the sort of thing where I sit down every... When I first quit my job, I was like, okay, every morning I sit down, I work for three hours. And like, I started doing that. I was pretty productive. And then I was like, I don't need to do this. I just got to work whatever the hell I want to work. And it worked out. It's So far, it's worked out. I don't know how it will, it will continue to work out. But fingers crossed. I feel like I might as well enjoy it while it lasts. And if I have to go back into advertising or consulting, so be it. But for now, I'm trying to have a bunch of irons in the fire and... and uh, kind of try to get a bunch of different revenue streams and support myself independently so that I can keep living this sort of lifestyle, which I'm very much fond of. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I We've done about an hour and 20 minutes. I know that Dang. you were yeah. worried about it. Well, I, I, I just I don't... I mean, I apologize to anybody that's listened to this entire thing. Uh, if you haven't found anything substantive if you haven't found anything substantive don't listen to any more of them because i don't <laughs> right <laughs> right. Elliot says it, get that hell out of here some where if they did not get anything there's a silver lining so yeah should i teach it? a trick they walked <laughs> they probably walked which means they burned calories there you go that's true um, there you go or what else they could have been doing they could have been um Maybe uh, d- d- doing the dishes. Maybe they finished the dishes. Yeah. Or so they, they were at the DMV waiting. Yeah. yeah so they're gonna feel some sort of. Or give their spouse or girlfriend a break from them. You know, from their. You know. Yeah. Just. just it has yeah, to be a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No. This was. It was fun. This was a fun thing to do. Should we? Is there anything you want to do? You know, you want to ask before we wrap it up, or any other questions? Anything we didn't cover? I'll take a look at the notes. Uh, I. I. Am. Thoroughly enjoyed that Aussie joined us. Yeah, that was nice. And I wish he would put some clothes on. Well, you're in on. my room. What can I do? You're in my room. Of course, I'm going to join. You could have put pants on. That would have been nice. Well, you yes. actually, yeah, you, you, you. How do you get it into that sort of? How do you get the hair to be in that sort of shape? Is it like a, is shape? a straight razor? You got to pull it really this? tight. What are you talking oh, about? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that hair. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Second, I thought you were talking about my eyebrows. <laughs> it spells out wind for all the listeners at home. They can't. You can't see it. It looks like uh, the back of his cards. Yeah. Uh, well. That's <laughs> <laughs> I got the inspiration. Yeah, very good. Very no, good. you actually you covered everything in one way or another, and I found that that sort of tends to happen. Is I'll jot yeah. down some notes and thing, and it just comes up naturally. You know, any magician you get them talking, they'll just keep going. I do want to plug. And something. you're Jewish, plug right? As much as you want. Are yeah, you Jewish? of course. So that's right. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not religious, but uh, you know, Reuben. Reuben. Yeah, I like. Yeah. Sa- I like. Uh, garlic dill pickles, you know. I like chopped matzo liver. balls. I like matzo balls. It's mostly a food thing for me. Of course, it's mostly a food thing. It, it, for every Jew, it's <laughs> food. Yeah. Every holiday is food. Yeah. Even Yom Kippur is food. You just the don't lack of food. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, but there's a big meal before and after. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I actually like Passover. That's the only thing I really get into is Passover. Really? What do you like about it? It's like Jewish Thanksgiving. You know, mm. it's historical. Without the turkey. Without the turkey, right? It's not. Um, or without the stuffing, you can still make the turkey. That is true. But I like it because it's it is a Thanksgiving. You know, there is some historical basis there. There's a lot of persecution. It's just like, hey, hey, isn't it nice that we get to kind of get together and have this dinner? So I like that. It's as like a second Thanksgiving, the, as opposed to the other option. Yeah, there's a lot of other ones are just like really steep. You got to believe a lot of stuff. You kind of got to do a lot of God stuff. And I'm not so. I, I don't. I don't. You know, I'm not going to get into that. Forget it. Can I? Can I tell you a thing that happened the other Please. day? Please. 
I was in a bookstore with a friend of mine who's Jewish, and it's we we're in like the art history section. Yeah. And there was a book that was totally out of place, and it was called The Story of the Jews. And I pointed to it, and I was like, look, there's a book about you. And he looks over, and he goes, ha, The Story of the Jews. And the clerk, the person who works there, is standing in the aisle, and he turns to us, and he goes, it ends better than you think. Nice. It's what? <laughs> it ends better than it you think. It ends better than you wow. think. Wow. That's great. Is that considered anti-Semitism? Or I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's considered amazing comic luck. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, That's I don't so think so. Funny. Uh, so <laughs> I want. I do want to plug something. I am yeah, gonna. Please. I am uh, working on. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, I'll have a little shop up on my site with some puzzles. Awesome. Optical. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're optical issues. Well, well, they, let's talk about that a little bit. They're called Adam Rubin puzzles. Yeah, I guess they're awesome. So. Are they impossible objects or are they? They're sort of impossible objects. I, I know how to sum it up. It's, how? it's 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 they're art pieces that are also puzzles because there's some t- something beauty about beautiful about them, like you. Like your can I say cigarette and ashtray? Is sure, that sure. It's going to be cigars when it comes out. Oh, uh, it'll be cigars and ashtrays. So, is even it's just as an object to have on your coffee table, it's a beautiful object. Because most puzzles are like cubes, correct? Sure. But yours has some some aesthetics. Well, I try to make them look like things. Yes. Real world. You know, or yes. have some sort of function. The, so like the, the real object, yeah, I like them. I don't I know what the hell to call them. I'm going to think about it more. Uh, I really, I also don't have a good name for that puzzle. That you cigar, don't? I don't have a good name for that cigar puzzle. Uh, but it stop smoking? Stop smoking. Well, I had smoking kills for the cigarette one. Oh, okay. Because, uh, you know, they diminish. But it actually turns out it's more impressive when the cigars appear than when they disappear. Oh. I've, I've learned that from performing. So smoke more. Yeah, smoke more. <laughs> That's what we call it. You should smoke more. Smoke more. Smoke. But I, I, I have really taken a great joy in looking at these old optical principles or mm-hmm. geometric redistribution puzzles and trying to make them into something functional or something... That seems, seems commonplace. Maybe. Yeah, like an ashtray or a paperweight or a salt shaker or a bottle opener. That's glorious. And um, really trying to challenge myself with making these things, as as Ossie said and so flatteringly said, like art pieces, really stuff that you might find in the MoMA store. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because my design skills are not excellent, sure. and my three D design skills are even less so. <laughs> even less so. Yeah. So between all of the all of the objects will be made in New York. Mm-hmm. Fully uh, manufactured and handcrafted in New York, and the challenge is that three D printing is in such uh, is still in its infancy that there are a lot of technical challenges that sure. uh, even beyond what you see in the computer, what then comes back from the factory is not exactly you know, whether it's the friction or the texture yeah. or the, the structural integrity, and so the there's just a lot of challenges, and so it's been a fun process. It's been like this mad science project where I've got all these weird boxes and crazy crap line, you know, trying to figure out these materials and stuff. So it has been a lot of fun, but I, I'm hoping that when you when you do eventually get something from the shop, it will be indistinguishable from something you might buy at, like, uh, a nice design store. Okay. Except it does something totally unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you a lot for... Agreeing to sit yeah, down my and pleasure. Talk for a long time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks Austin, to my thank thanks to our mystery you. host here. We just invaded my room. What could I do? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we are in Ossie's house at the moment. He did not expect us to drop by. Uh, do, the, do, we, do we tell naked. people where we are? We're at Magi Fest in Columbus, Ohio. We're in Ossie's suite. He was kind enough to allow us to. So sweet in. of you. 
Of course. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was comedy, ladies and gentlemen, just in case you missed it. <laughs> if we got confused. That was comedy. Uh, he improvised right here board. in my suite. I've got a whole page. I've got pages of notes here of jokes that I didn't get to use. <laughs> that was my food. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on. What Elliot. if you have an idea? What would make it the never-ending podcast? We just take it with us to the show. We we'll we'll keep the mic. We just open. take it with us to the yeah. Jeff McBride lecture. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to Ossie's show tomorrow. Oh, I have a show tomorrow. Yeah. You have a show tomorrow. I'm very excited. I have no idea what I'm gonna do. Well, maybe if you script it out in advance. I'm going to improvise the whole... It's going to be jazz. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I'm going to discover things Great. for the first Let's, time. We'll see some jizz magic right on stage. Yes, <laughs> yes. Of course. All right. Well, thanks, Elliot. I appreciate it. I hope that um, your listeners enjoy your podcast and that there's How a long lot has of, it been uh, now? <laughs> an hour uh, 25. Wow. Uh, no, we have to go to 30. To Let's go on 30. An it hour has 30? To, yeah. At 1.30, we're going to chop. No matter what. Yeah. In the middle I thought center, I was out. Middle they middle pulled me back. <laughs> well, Somebody's going to be like chopping onions like, please end this <laughs> thing. If you're listening, I suggest you turn it off. But we're going to go five more minutes. Five more minutes. Yeah. Wow. We'll, we'll improvise. Let's How about I go to the bathroom? You guys talk about me no, for no, ninety I seconds. Didn't, second. You didn't flush? No, because I didn't want to, to. Oh right, right. Okay. Well, if it's yellow, let it mellow, right? That's how. Since we yeah, don't yeah. care now, because it's five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys discuss. So we're gonna improvise. Go Elliot, you start. Oh God. <laughs> Have you ever done something like that? Like, no, I we're haven't. Gonna, I would love we're to not. Take we're not gonna bore you to death on purpose. So if just accidentally. Just. Seriously, go do something better. You know, here, here's, think about what you're missing out. You could p- be playing PlayStation. Yeah. Read a good book. Talking to your partner. Yeah, yeah. Communicating. But instead, you're listening to this. If you're still listening. If you're not, you're smart. But <laughs> if you're listening to this, you're wasting your time. Maybe your life. I don't know. <laughs> like, who are we to tell you anything? What to do? Or like, what do we know? Seriously. That's true. Go live life, experience, come up with your own conclusions, make your own podcast. See, uh, I think I think what you just said though nullifies it, your previous question. Which was what? Which was what do we know? And then you said go live your life, make your own conclusions. That in and of itself is an Knowledge. enormous Yeah. An enormous yeah, but enlightenment. Come on, come on. This is like you know it's two cents uh, we're just telling the viewers that if they're listening right now, yeah, they're basically losers. They should just go home. You should tell them that the I viewers, mean, if they're listening right now, that they're looking at the wrong. <laughs> like they're, yes. they're consuming the podcast. How much time do we have? They should be listening. Three minutes, two minutes. Two we have two more minutes. minutes of complete boredom and nonsense. Complete. You should not should not be listening to this. Yeah, don't listen. If I had an idea while I was going to the bathroom. Okay, what's that? Uh, has anybody tried to film cardistry with like one of those? Uh, one of those fiber optic cameras, you know, like the ones they stick in your nose and stuff. Just oh, you know how you, th- you people always describe flourishes as architectural, uh-huh. right? This is a very architectural flourish. It would be cool if you could Get simulate that it. scale, yeah. like make it feel grandiose by having the perspective be really minuscule, mm. right? Like, what would that's it look cool. like to be inside the flourishes? That is, uh, that's a great idea. By the way, that leads me to this idea. I'm going to show you a new cardistry uh, routine I'm working on, but I can do a YouTube, Just so we'll do it on podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you could no, anti-ferro. Act, 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 act to me. <laughs> act to me. That's actually, that's Very. pretty. Wow. Yeah, 
that is gonna hurt. <laughs> if you're no, actively punishing the How much time do we have to gibberish? How much time? A minute and a half. A minute and a half of nonsense. So nonsense. Well, okay, so if we wanted to learn uh, improvisation, yeah. read Napier's book, yeah. Improvise, yeah, yeah. and his new one on Amazon. What where else could we go? Should we take classes? What yeah, I think you can take classes. Study? I mean, it's hard to find people that know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like magic. It's it's sure. You kind of have to feel a, around. And no, you. there's that really jaded Sturgeon's Law says 99% of everything is crap, right? Yep. The more you know about it, mm-hmm. the more you realize that most things are crap. Like if I was a an expert on curtains or interior design, I would Which probably you are. be appalled. Yeah. I mean, don't out me on the okay. podcast. No, but you know a lot, I know about, a lot curtains. about curtains. I yeah. do know a lot about curtains. Bad example. If I knew a lot about... <laughs> Uh, uh, coffee, for example. And you I, do, and you do. I, I, you do. I, I really do know a lot about coffee. Some of them are so What about plugs? You have such a depth of knowledge. That's you are. What about plugs? Like a deep hole of knowledge. Um, <laughs> but the point is that if you know a lot about something, you, you look at the mo- majority of that thing and think mm-hmm. it's not so good. Sure. And so uh, with improv, I think you have to be careful because sometimes any acting class like mm-hmm. you're really vulnerable in an acting class yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. really sure. putting yourself in the hands of some supposed expert and so you should a- as much as possible get to see that person perform yeah. or know their pedigree before sure. you trust them to teach you for eight weeks or whatever that so they're not just sense. being skeevy and like trying to get young girls phone numbers or have some sort of weird ego trip in the middle of Omaha which is something. fine too correct well it's fine if you're on that if you, that's your plan just that as long as you go in knowing what's, exactly. Exactly. what the deal how much time do we have I want to give my phone number to people what time is it yeah uh, just just hold on we're in the middle of it ah, it's trying to figure out how to meet young women okay we're on yeah, to something so now. Yeah, so, okay, so I have to pretend to know a lot about improv. 12. Pretend to know about a lot about anything. So, I think yeah, that works. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, coffee, curtains, whatever coffee, you want. Coffee, curtains, yeah. things that we both enjoy. Um, what, okay, so uh, are there other books that people should read so they can so kind of get an idea? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, improvises it. I think, the, the, I think mixed books are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other books that other people... Uh, have written that are, are famous on the subject. I don't think they're for me. They weren't as helpful. That's yeah. all I'll say. Okay. For me, when I was learning, uh, improvise was extremely helpful, mm-hmm. and then just doing it was really helpful. But there are a couple other books. There's something ri- wonderful right away. There's uh, there's um, shit. I'm forgetting the name of Sharna's book. What is Sharna's book called? Make it up. Uh, no. What, what is it called? <laughs> You're betraying your craft. <laughs> Truth and comedy. Sorry. Truth, Truth and, and comedy. comedy. Okay. Truth and comedy and. There's the UCB textbook. The UCB one is like super analytical. It's like do this, then do that. It's very, it's very. It's uh, like the bones of, the construction of extremely rigid, to some extent. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk shit, but it's a different approach. So don't sure. read that. You can read it. It's. It, I mean, look, it's just like it's magic, right? Different. Read a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. I read. Uh, I read Derek Dingle's book, and I was like, I learned, I guess, from it. I hated it. Why? I just hate when Coffin doesn't describe the effect before the the method. It, it's really hard for me to visualize the trick, you know, because I don't know where it's going. I'm just like following this thing, and then in some cases it's extremely you know, dense it with your ADD, and you know. complicated. But you know, the thing about elephants that I like is that they have fingers; they're just all fused together in those mm. stumps. But there are five of them if you count. There's that five. is true. Yeah. What were we talking about? Is it a flaw in creation? Okay, never mind. Um, the wisdom teeth, you know, you, you have them, you don't if need. If anybody them. knows about dry rot, 
<laughs> please, please call in. I'm suffering. You're gonna be in great pain. Have, like by the time socket? this goes, huh? Do you have a dry socket? Is that what? The no, I, no, I don't I'd know like what to it once is. again apologize to the listeners. You should not be listening. By the way, just uh, yeah, that's the best be advice we can give you right now. Yeah. Uh, what? How much time have we got? Seriously. One thirty-two. Oh, it's definitely time. Let's do another hour. One hour? I think yeah. we could do it. We could. We just got into the group. Well, now we need like. to just start interviewing let's, Elliot. Let's see. Who's, who's next, by the way? What time is it? What's happening right now? It's 7.30 right now, so Young Magicians event. Just Park ended, Park. and Le- Levon, Levent, one-man show starting at 8. So at we have eight. time. We have time. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk uh, about nothing. Well, no, I need to get... I have I have Adam <laughs> Elbaum's keys to his car, and I need sure. to get them to him. Call him. Can I call him? Put him on speaker. Right. Or he could come up and he could be the We talk about uh, improvise, no? So call him. Yeah, right. I'm going to call him. Don't, t- don't tell him that we're on podcast. So don't tell him we're on a podcast? Yeah, because... I yeah, should. Yeah. He might say something interesting. No, that no, would be, would, that would would be makes it, That would makes it interesting, that you know? That would be perfect. Yeah, we'll be quiet. Speaker. Oh, you guys don't want him to know you're here? No. No, it's okay. Good Lord. We can know we're here. That's fine. If it comes up next. Yo, I'm uh, up in Aussie's room. Uh, uh, you're on speakerphone, by the way. Uh, so anyway, I'm up in Ossie's room with Elliot and Ossie, and, and you're on speakerphone. Okay. So I uh, have your keys. Um, what do you What do you What are you up to? How was the How was the Garrett I lecture? Just, it was great. Well, like except for one, it's unfortunately verbose and going on and on, but we just it went really well. They loved it. Uh, I got to do more tomorrow, but uh, I just grabbed a burger real quick so I can eat something. Uh, I got no room to drop off stuff and. Then, Oh, I forgot. Asi and I went to get food. He liked the restaurant we went to so much. He brought back a second meal to eat later. I did. I did. Adam, I want my gimmick. Where's my gimmick? Of your uh, of your beautiful trick. By the way, just so you know, there's a, a, at least thousands of people listening to you right now. Just so you know, <laughs> you're live. Well, Asi, you just called. You could just call the Adam's trick beautiful, right? It is beautiful. Tell us what you think of it. What do I think of it? Yeah, we're talking about awestruck. That I Adam think it's Alabama. a I think it's a brilliant trick, and I I, I, I want to own you one. Think, were you using this for the advertisement? You know, it's what? Just, well, we're you, using this quote for the advertisement. That's why it's asking. Good, good. Sure, of course. You can definitely quote him. But, but, but why don't you come to my room and bring the toy with you, and we'll talk about it? Because we're trying to br- uh, to break the world record of podcasts. It's eight forty one. Yeah, we've been doing it for three hours now. We're trying to go for longer, and we're encouraging people to not listen to this. To, to just turn off. Yeah. The podcast. And if they're listening to this, they're they're fanatics. Eight forty one of magic. There's a lot. Elliot's got a lot of rabid fans that will. I mean. Like now, they've just—it's just a test of endurance where they can't turn it off because they just want to make it through. And they'll know. And the thing is, Elliot has added time to the audio file, so you don't know when it's going to end. Yeah. Like you think that it's going to end at a certain point, but that some of it's just silence. He started erasing stuff on his computer, so there's more memory. Yeah. It's not bad. It's like all of his porn. He erased all of his porn. What's it? Gigs and gigs. It's been. All right. We'll see you soon. Eight forty-one. Eight forty-one. Bring the toys. Okay. <laughs> so we have to stay here until it comes. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I, I would think that would be great is if... Should I eat my food now? Yeah, you should eat. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Please. You know what would be great is if you just added a bunch of time, just like blank white noise yeah, onto yeah, the yeah. end of this, Under so it looks end. like it's four hours. Yeah. No, we can talk. We can gibberish. But I mean, that way... Cause People really The thing don't is, know. right now, yeah. it feels interminable because we genuinely don't know when it's going to end. 
But for the listener, but that's the improv aspect of it, correct? But, but I'm saying we are robbing the listener of that uncertainty because they can see the timeline of the podcast. They see when it's going to end. Whereas if mm. Elliot were to randomly add a that's bunch a of white noise, idea. then they really don't know when it's yep. going to end. That's like, a good idea. That. It could be six yeah. hours long. That's a great idea. And then they see, don't that's know. A co- that's a copywriter. Uh, <laughs> that's, you see, that's how yeah. somebody like him thinks. Hey, there you go. I'm going to do that. Definitely. He's thinking about the packaging. It's not just thinking about the content. Speaking of which, I'd like to show the listeners my new business card. Oh, oh wow. Well, by the way, I want to say something about your business card. I am so envious let me let me well, show I, it. I need to show it to the Do audience. This. Okay, there it is. It's beautiful. That's so cool. But if I may say something, it's the most beautiful card I've ever seen. And wow. I'm envious of it and ask Adam Rubin if I can make this my card like his. And what did I say? He said absolutely not. <laughs> I said I said absolutely <laughs> not. Well, you know what? Because I'm I'm not gonna talk shit here, but I am. But you are. But Let's I am. See. Because one of my favorite business cards, and you guys know he's a close friend of mine, and, and, and RoboSauce is dedicated to him, is Mark Seta Ducati. Of course. Really yeah, that's a guy. great business, great business yeah, card. Great I'll describe business. it for you. Uh, if you haven't seen no, it. No, don't do But then people don't. rip it off. No, no they won't. Where are they going to source all the mylar? It's a pain in the ass to oh, make that thing. It's a, it's, a, um, it's a high gloss black card. It's a deep black. It's shiny. And you, on both sides, it's just this deep midnight black. And then you realize it's a tent fold, which, so it kind of opens up in the middle. And when you open it up on the inside, there's a reflective mylar panel on one side like of the interior, like a mirror. And then on the other side is Mark's business card information printed in red and white backwards on the other side. So you have to kind of angle like a V. You have to look inside the fold of the card and angle it so that you can read the reflection of the writing in the reflective surface of the mylar. And it's just a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Mark's a toy inventor. A lot of his work in, incorporates reflection and mirrors, and so it's just like the most wonderful card. It is a great card. However, <laughs> the other day I was at the Met. Uh, Ricky Jay gave his talk about the Matthew Bulkinger exhibit, which is it's really wonderful. If you amazing. haven't seen it, it's probably going to be over by the time this airs, but it's great. This, this micrography. It's about this guy who didn't have hands or feet and he would do these really elaborate drawings um, so elaborate that like in the curlicues of hair would be bible verses and it, you have to use they have magnifying glasses at the Met so you can fully appreciate the, the drawings it's really astounding I mean even with somebody that's, that has fingers I don't know how the hell they would do it and this guy had no hands so he gave a presentation about it highly entertaining Rick J great raconteur really wonderful at the presentation was a lot of different magic people as long as well as like 800 Met subscribers that just go to all the different speaker series, but I ran into Roger Dreyer mm. at the talk, and uh, I used to work for Roger, like, back in the day, I did their Legends of Magic series, like, when I was still in school, I, like, wrote, directed it, worked with Simon Lovell, who refused to work off of a script, even though it was the instructional <laughs> videotape, and edited the whole thing, and it was a great way to cut my teeth, and, and uh, it really was a good project, and Mark hooked me up with the job. But the point is, Roger's card is everything he's he is is Mark's card, but he's ruined it. Oh, and why then, is that? Why is that? Because so first of all, on the front, rather than a deep, mysterious, high gloss black, is a giant logo for his business. Okay, full color. To no mystery. Right. You open it up. There's the exact same typography. There's a really 
I'm going to get in trouble for this. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's Nobody a, will listen to it anyway. That's true. The, the, yeah, cross, the, lost, Venn, the Venn diagram. I, if we have one listener right now, I'd be shocked. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna be so mad at us. They're going to take and it upon themselves to, to email this guy to tell him. But there's like this silly inflated title yep. in, in, his, in his business card. And then on the back is... The, all the information right side up, like regular image. Which is like, what is the point of it? Just it totally. Was, he was bad mouthing here, so continue. So, uh, our, our good friend Adam Elbaum, inventor of Awestruck, has just walked in. We're in hour five of the podcast. Yeah, we basically, it's become an endurance test at this point. Yeah, it is. We're going to do it. By the way, I want to say something. Ash needs to shower. He, <laughs> he showed me this. Trick, yeah, yeah, with the gimmick and everything. How many years ago? The first time it was early incarnations years ago. I don't even know. Five, six years. Maybe. Yeah. So here's an amazing At thing. Least. Correct. It doesn't happen much today. How long have you been working on that trick? 10, 15 years. Ten to fifteen years. That's so, crazy. So whoever buys it is buying a product that's been thought of for fifteen years, it, with evolution, and I've seen many stages of it. So it, it, it wasn't just, you know, an idea that he has, you know, and now he's publishing it. And that's that's how every trick should be, no? It should be something that you really... Well, that's how you do it. I, I try. And I can't believe it sometimes. I don't believe the other, yeah. This guy comes up to him today. I, I saw this. I was there when this happened. This guy comes up to me. He's like, Ossie Wind, I love your material. I do... I do... Uh, I do double exposure at my at my uh, kids' gigs all the time, or like whatever he says, like I do, at Denny's or whatever the hell it was. And I'm like, I hope this guy is doing it justice, right? That's the best magic those kids have ever seen. I mean, it just, but you know, there is. I I res, I, res, I I respect the fact that you want to put it out there, but maybe you could talk about why. A lot of people look. You look at some of the guys you hang around with. They're extremely protective of their material. I think it's a mistake. Okay, go ahead. I, th- I tell you why. I think sharing only is going to help us. So, for example, if if there's people are going to do bad magic regardless of what you put out or not. Cor- yeah. Correct. That's not going to stop them from doing any uh, any other trick badly. Sure. But if you put in well thought routines and that could even if they don't do it, if that could inspire them. Say, wow, I see the sophistication about this, how it's structured and all that. It's only, there's only upside to it. They might, might do the trick very well, by the way. They might, you know, it might push other tricks that they do, you know, to, to think about it more. Okay. I think the more we share, the better chance we have of people performing good magic out there. I buy that completely. But, but if we, we keep guarding material and people do spongebobs really badly, right. that's just as bad as doing any other trick badly. So let me take the other side of the argument for a second. Sure. You show up to a corporate gig, yeah. big high-paying thing. It's like a executive retreat, let's say, on a yacht. Yeah. And you're going to close your set or you're going to open your set and you do Catch-23. And one of the guys in the audience goes, oh, my kid does that. It doesn't happen. Yeah, right. I think that's a paranoid It, it thing. doesn't happen. You know what? Here's, I tell you a story. I have a client who's now a dear friend of mine, yeah. but I, I do a lot of shows for him. He, you know, he, he pays me well. He treats me fair. And one, t- one time I, I go to the to a gig that he hired me to do, and he says, you know, I just bought double exposure. <laughs> so he bought a trick, I don't know, twelve dollars. Yeah. Correct. Is that all it is? Yeah. It's that's that, nuts. I know. I, I think it's worth more, not because I want yeah, to make more worth money, more? but because I $12? think twelve dollars. I put that's a like lot of value into. meal. I know. For I the, know. Uh, the camera with the thing. That's a yeah. good trick. So here's the thing. It's a client, not a magician. 
and he said to me, I watched the clip and I appreciate you even more because he saw how difficult it is. He, said, he says, I knew I have no chance of doing it. But that's an enlightened audience member. No, but I think what he does, they, it makes him, I'm not afraid of exposure, by the way. I'm not okay. afraid that if people, people know it, there's a secret. But if, if somebody went through the trouble of finding a trick, downloading, learning it, you know, and he realizes that there's a lot of work going into it, uh, it's actually not bad. What about the opposite? If it happens to be a trick that is such a super effect, but then they go online and find out it was just a simple, it was a very simple method, and it sort of takes this miracle down to a... Uh, I, I don't know a single trick, to be honest, that doesn't require a great deal of work. Well, I but don't, the, I don't know if, if you, you know can, the method, it might not realize how much how much work. But even the invisible deck, which is super easy, requires a great skill of showmanship and, and, and routining it. If if you're going, if that's all you do, say here I have a deck of cards, one is reverse, name a card. Here it is. I don't I don't think that's good enough. Like not for me at least. That's interesting. You know, it's refreshing to hear that because a lot of the guys who I would say are the, sort of the back room guys, which is different than the back door guys. Mm-hmm. They how so. <laughs> They just uh, enter different doors. It's just a, it's an odor thing, I think. It's mostly a smell. I'm going to eat just how much mind. cleanup is required. And I have to put down the towel. Let's go ahead. And uh, and I, I even well, I'll admit to the paranoia myself. Like I don't even like performing on shows with other magicians because I don't want them to take my shit. Because unlike most other art forms, it's completely okay. There's I, I don't know any other craft or art form performing art where you can just buy somebody else's material and do it verbatim. It's true, but but if you're choosing that route, then you're not you're missing out. I mean, I always say in every DVD, that I say, here's a trick, go and try to make it your own, and that includes pattern presentation, but how many maybe handling. But how many people do? Yeah, what difference does it but, make? But that's my problem. I mean, you can only suggest it. Then it's up to whoever. I guess it's different too because you are saying here it is fully formed. I'm going to take you through every step so that make sure that you do it right. Mm -hmm. And some of the guys they're paranoid because. They don't want somebody to just lift it and do it wrong or don't not do it justice. But uh, do you think it would be better for Magic if every great working pro published all their material? No, I, I think okay. For example, I don't publish everything I've ever done. Right. And I don't. I only publish things that I think are. You know, a I worked on them for many years, just like Adam. Um, sorry, I'm choking on my food. But um, first of Worked on for a how long time. How old are those clams, by the way? And uh, <laughs> those that how old is that that food you're eating? A few hours. Okay. <laughs> we bought together. There's a toenail in there. I think. <laughs> it's okay. It's tasty. It's protein. It's protein. <laughs> but anyway, um, so criteria number one: 15 years of uh, or so of working on a trick, and B, if I contributed enough to call it my own. So in other words. If it's just a variation on a trick, yeah, and you know I'm doing it, of course, that's fine. But I'm not going to publish it because I did not add enough to it in order to say this is my trick. Right. So if I don't, if I can have ownership on the trick, I will not publish it. So it's about because okay, so that's so interesting because recently there's been a lot of hubbub about people lifting other people's material. Where? I mean, all over the place. I know. With okay. your buddy as well, and. Some other people and weddings and all sort, all sorts sure. of stuff, right? All over the place. All over the place. Where people get mad about, well, I did it with one finger here, or I did it with this thing, where that thing went on your shoulder and that thing went on the floor, and the mm -hmm. other thing went in the air. And and people get really mad, and I I can relate to that because mm -hmm. you takes takes so much effort to get this stuff right, and yet 
you're there going, here's 15 years of my life or whatever for 25 bucks. And you don't, and, and, and you seem very like at, at peace with that. What's the, what's the difference psychologically? Less ego. No, I, is it an ego thing? I think it is an ego thing for most of magicians. In my experience, it's their ego. They're so wrapped up in this trick, and if someone else can do it, then that's, they, they have their my magical powers. I'm no longer so special, I think. Is it a permission thing? What difference do you, re- do you relieve yourself of that anger by offering it freely? I can say in my case, the only reason I, did, I didn't hold, I didn't release it. I'm not doing it for monetary gain. I just wanted a couple of gimmicks made, and unless I released it, I would, it would cost me a bunch of money. So by releasing it, I had the <laughs> very practical it. reasoning. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, also Adam well, loves money. So. I do oh, love money, yeah, but there's loves. better ways to make money than to <laughs> that uh, is true. you anti-Semite. It's true. Uh, <laughs> really? About How could I be? <laughs> no, but uh, it's, by the way, it, it's true. The, the amount of effort you put into a trick and the amount of money you make off of it. I mean, there it's there's, better ways to there's make no money. proportions. I mean, there's much better ways. To make I mean, money. even performing in lectures, uh, in work, in um, conventions and stuff, is really every time I do it, you know, I I'm giving up opportunities to do real gigs. Yeah, which pay better, uh, but I love doing them. I really do. Because right. you get to hang out with your like friends. We're doing this stuff that nobody's listening to. Right. Stop <laughs> listening, by the way. If you are still listening. To if this, you're still listening, please get off. <laughs> if you're still listening to this, we will give you a free. T-shirt. T-shirt, yeah. <laughs> we don't have it yet, but we'll work The coupon on. code for Dan and Dave is Nasi <laughs> Won't Stop Talking. Let Just me write enter this down that, so we can actually make this happen. Enter that into your shopping cart, and you'll get a free promotional item. Asi will not stop talking. You can also visit AssiWillNotStopTalking.org. I'm eating at the same Would just be a gif of you just eating your Buddha bowl. That was funny. And this Stay is on. just played on repeat for Yeah. Stayed on long enough so you can hear it come out the other end, take it into the bathroom with you. Yeah. <laughs> we already had two bathroom breaks. Show us a trick. Show the yeah. listeners a trick. Yeah, will you show it? First last. Will you demo the, the trick? I know, who cares? No, no, no. <laughs> I showed my business card earlier. I mean, yeah. the trick. Which is really... And I did a routine. Of course. Beautiful I, just, I, Thank you. I showed you this a little bit, but now it's been actually developed. What are we showing? I'm, I'm showing a You should show the podcast. They used to do. They used to do. Can they show describe move? paintings on the radio. Can I show wow. a move or you oh yeah, do the, the download. The, this is cool. I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. Yeah. Uh, I showed you an earlier phase of this, but uh, actually, in the process of knowing that I was going to film it, mm. I started working it and. and Totally revolutionized it so much better because it's working so long. There's another reason for it. So we talked about the reverse cull. Mm. So now, so it used to be like this, where it's just going through, and but you can technically still see it come out. Mm -hmm. It's better to spread from the bottom was the idea. But now check this out. Watch this. Look how good this looks. So you can see the uh, face down card. There's only one. No others. And it's done or whatever because now you can hit it to the edge. Do it so what are you doing? I'm like trying to do it out here. So but we just lo- we just lost another twenty listeners. But <laughs> go, go. <laughs> it's like Matt Fox <laughs> and some shut in in Norway at this point. <laughs> what are they doing? So here it is. His name's so Earl. 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 Yeah. Spelled J A R L. His only friend is a moose. What are you waiting for? The last minute? Is that what you're doing? Here it is. So it's here. Well, the first. By the way, Adam is doing a cool call. Yeah, reverse call. This is call from the bottom instead of from the top. So it's so it's going here. So when the card comes, I tag this so it still hits the edge, and then after the. So you basically you wait basically. Well, if the the big thing about it is the arc. 
Mm. So because the arc now it can actually Conceals? hit the edge because you can't do it this way because um. then you can't get your finger otherwise you have so, to do a big break. But can you do a bunch of cards like that? You can do one cards. It just replaces Hoffs That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. For, but if you have like a sandwich routine, you can pull a card out of the middle of them. It's, it's, it's awesome. invisible. That's weird. We do the anti pharaoh for the microphone. Sure. You can do one handed pharaoh for the microphone. That is the strangest get ready for that. Yeah, it was. I had to try to figure out how to do it. How many packs have you done so far? Nothing. First time. How many podcasts? This will be the first and last in this series. I've done, I think, uh, nine. Nine. Yeah. And you had people listen to it? No, he hasn't watched it. They haven't launched it. Oh, didn't you not? This will be in the can for a while. Well, this will be in the can forever. Hopefully. (laughs) I'd be very curious to know. Would you be able to know, like? At this point, how many people listen to us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You will know every second. They have some great yeah. metrics on, on that. Stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what way, this meant. I'll be able to tell you where what country. Do you use country. analytics on your website? No, you don't. I don't. That is a huge mistake. It's not. It is. It's just, if you're looking for work, it's a mistake. No, it's if you're looking for information, it's a mistake. Because you would be able to see. You could be huge in Korea right now. You don't. You even would know be able it. to see not only where people are looking at your site from, but mm-hmm. when. What parts they engage, which parts of the site they engage with most. But that I don't want to improve my website. I'm trying to. It doesn't have to be improved. You can take. You can. I can give you a block of code that you can put into your into your HTML today, mm-hmm. and in a week you'll have some really interesting data on who's looking at your site, when they look at your site. You know, you do a big gig and you get a big spike in your visits. You know, that's a good client to have, or that you might be expecting some more, some business soon, or or you know. But that requires more work. Not really. There's a dashboard that they've got set well, up. The larger point is it's better to put the t- code on so at a later date if you want to go back if for whatever right. reason. It, mm. Maybe right now you don't care about it, but maybe, maybe three years from now you're like, well, let's see how the site has progressed. It only records the activity. Yeah. You can cool. even have where they clicked on the thing. So which parts of the site and all that stuff. How many people do you think are listening right now? I'm going to guess. I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to make an educated guess because I don't know where Elliot's going to promote this stuff. I don't know where it's going to be posted. It's telling Dave. I mean, there are some followers. You know, people follow this. But stuff. come on. Who's got this attention span, right? This is not you. This is the Instagram generation. <laughs> I can't. I mean, any longer than 15 So what seconds. do you think? It's not nobody? Is it nothing zero right no, now? somebody. There's like that one kid that just can't brave. give it up. You know, like, he's really... He's, he's really just, brave. At this point, he's just determined. Well, he's like that guy that runs all the marathons with his son in the wheelchair. You know, like, there's... What do you got to prove at this point? <laughs> but there's a big difference you know between having it on in the background and listening. True. Right? So someone could just be playing it while they're doing work, and that doesn't mean they're actually listening to Can you do saying. that? Are you able to do that? No. I was saying earlier, I can't do that at all. I can't work while I'm Oh, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't work. Yeah. I have an idea. Yeah. If you are listening right now... Yeah. Guys out there, click the hotspot on us. Take a website. photo. Take a photo of your screenshot and put it on Facebook and tag our names. Yeah, this way we'll know. But we need to see the timeline. Like, yeah, or tweet it, it at us. But whatever point you you said that's it. I can't go anymore with this. You take a snapshot of yeah. the screen, and Asi will personally congratulate you on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, Asi will not stop talking that org. <laughs> yeah. and eating it at the same time. <laughs> we will post all of these photos at Asi will not stop talking and there will be uh, a dedicated Instagram account. Yeah, that will be really nice. You're gonna you're gonna get some really nice freebies from Dan and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> What's the cheapest thing they sell on Dan and Dave's website? Uh, you know I don't know the answer to that. They have a lot question. of free stuff. They do. They have some free downloads. Well, that's not that's yeah. no fun. Dan and Dave are amazing though. They're great. I gotta say, I've never worked with any company as far as downloads and all that. It's been an amazing experience. Uh, it's the easiest thing in life to. 
to work with. They're so chilled. They're so laid back. Yeah. They're arguably the most influential people I know personally. Really? Like, in, what, mean, in what way? Well, if you think about it, I mean, they really were created a whole movement of cardistry and all of that. I mean, that's really influential. Mm. Well, I don't they, know if they created they it. Pushed no, no, no. it they, they, they popularized it. Yeah. No, but they, they influenced they, it. Absolutely. If, it wasn't, if there was no Dan and Dave, no one was buying all these decks, millions of dollars. Nobody um, gave a shit about Brian Tudor. Uh, well... Yeah, Brian Tudor. I no, Brian Tudor predated them. He no, was an inspiration to he them. He was one of the I'm pioneers. Now, but yeah, no, nobody know, cared about him when he was doing for it. The, to, for the record, for the record, he was one of the pioneers, and he, d- he did very well. No, absolutely. And I'm not arguing that. Kenner's in there too. You know, he was doing some of that crazy yeah, but crap. Right but, but they were totally as no, I guess what you're saying. Like, you're saying. I'm trying to think who is a more influential person that I personally know that really just shaped anything that really just like had effect on something. I mean, it's true. Like, very few magicians have. Arguably cool, can I use that word? Yes, you uh, can use Arguably it. cool kids walking around wearing their names on their heads, on their ch- chests, you know? There are these kids, there are kids walking around where they have their names emblazoned on their chest. Or their I, mean, then I guess, I guess yeah, David, David, David Blaine is probably more influential. I wonder. David Blaine. Oh, he's amazing. Well, that's, he's, well, uh, that's what I'm saying, influential. Think more influential. Well, think about how many people... On magic? Yeah. On, on the on world. world on, in life. Hold on, what's the question? Ask the question it slowly. Is, the question is... <laughs> this is second language. Who is more influential? Uh, in what regard? Culturally. In America. In your opinion. Uh, you know, globally. Okay. Yeah, who's, more, globally. who's more influential in, on the global culture? Blaine is more influential. Blaine or Dan and Dave? Blaine is Come on, you cannot even ask yeah, that Blaine question. Okay, tell me in what ways people are changing their behavior based on David Blaine. I can tell you a bunch of ways. I can tell you a million. First okay, of all... Please. Before David, first of all, he changed the whole in TV. No, I'm not saying in the grand scheme of things. I'm saying right now in 2016. The, the way we do magic today is, is very no influenced by David. No question about it. I agree. So with that. that means okay. that the way people witness magic is different than the way they witness it. So it's, it's like a chain reaction. We do magic differently. People, the public has a different expectation of magic. Sure. Closer became cool again in demand. Uh, back in the day, you know, if you didn't have a stage act, you, would not, you, would, you could not ma- have a career. David really single-handedly changed magic on its head. Completely. I, I won't argue this, that. The, mag- the magic word is before Blaine, after Blaine. But very, very sharp and in, in distinct. Yeah. So what I'm saying is nowadays, as a cultural agitator, not agitator, that's the wrong word, influencer, how is David changing people's behaviors in 2016. The same way that, like... Well, does it have to be now? Can it yeah, be stuff his now. previous work? I'm or not is asking in the grand scheme of things. Clearly, he's had a more, a, a more, a way larger impact on the culture than Dan and David. I'm saying right now... I'm try- Okay, but the original question was, I said Dan and David are probably the most influential people I know personally. Yes. So, okay, so it, who, do you know anyone who's more influential? It doesn't have to be in magic, just in the world that than, you know than personally than, than David Blaine. Interesting. Um... I mean, I met Richard <laughs> Garriott a few times. He went. He was the first civilian in space. That's pretty influential. That, that no, but hold on. After this categories, I mean, obviously every person. Dick Cabot, I've met a few times. Had a couple conversations with him. Dinner. That's right. You were dinner that twice. He was, I mean, I'm, he's probably more. I'm not so. I'm not. I don't like those analogies. I don't like those analogies. Stewart for a summer. John Stewart is definitely influential, but yeah, you don't that know that him wins. personally. No, I couldn't call him up. Yeah. I, I don't D- David, good. <laughs> yeah, right. David, yeah, there you go. They're very good friends. There you go. They're very good friends. Really? Come on. How? What is a very good friend, really? David has more friends and acquaintances than I 
than he, people you've ever met. <laughs> he knows everybody, but yeah. he knows him on on a, on such a level. First of all, well, he's a celebrity. It's a different. He, no, thing. no, but he's more. It's mysterious. I think that David is more the most charismatic, persuasive person I've ever met. I like, agree with he you. He becomes your. He can become your friend in five seconds. He, he's. Th- he's amazing. The thing, that this way. thing about David. Every time I've hung out with David. I, I realize that he is like the prototypical celebrity because he believes that the rules do not of society do not apply to him, and so they don't. You know, we're riding on his motorcycle. But that's not because it's a, not because it's celebrity. No, he did, he did that before. That's, that's what Kalush told me. He's like he was always like that. Schiffer oh. said the same thing. He rides through New York City on a motorcycle, no helmet, up on the sidewalk against traffic, against traffic through Red traffic lights. lights, no plates on the bike, parks on the sidewalk. I ride a motorcycle. It, it's completely insane to do what he does, and he does it without blinking an eye. And I, I mean, and that's more dangerous, by the way, than all of his stunts together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I hope he's he's careful now with the his little girl is so adorable. Speaking of him being so influential, you know, maybe you could ask him when you get back to post a video of her uh, reading Robo Sauce on Instagram or something. That would be really great. <laughs> That's very self-serving. Yeah, well, it's, this podcast is supposedly about people. I mean, it is. It's all these people <laughs> talking. By the way, after an hour and a half, it's shifted to It's all about you. You're equal. You're equal now. You know what's nice is that people are going to listen to this just to get to the ludicrous ending of this whole group discussion, and they have to sit through all the bullshit about me. That's funny. I think it's a great... We were going to break a world record in podcasting. I don't think Dude, so. Dude, there's got to be something. What's, what's the longest? Ten I mean, hours? A year? Probably, I'm sure. Yeah, Lanes, we were just talking no, about... No, but non-stop. Non-stop. I mean, people try to go for records. You're not on... Yeah, you're probably not on the like I mean, What? Doesn't Corolla... Adam Corolla does like a three or four hour podcast every day. Yeah. Okay, can you do right now... Uh, uh, no, no. World's uh, longest podcast. Long, yes, but non-stop. Not interrupted. Right, 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 right. We did, we, we, did we ever pause? Uh... I paused when you came in from your. It doesn't call. count. Oh, you ruined the it record. doesn't count. Yeah. It doesn't count. We really did swear we never stopped. Correct? We were here. I would talking. say it's like days, if not. How should ten hours? Ten hours is the longest. Ten hours. No, definitely. No, I would say at least thirty hours. At least, if not long, because you non-stop. You can record. You sleep. But people go to sleep. But that would be as interesting as half of what we're no, talking about. No, no, I'm talking about, no, if you go to sleep, it's cheat. You're cheating. Continue talking. Continue talking. Oh, my God. You're talking about committed. weeks. Uninterrupted Weeks. webcast, 41 hours. Hold on, but they did not go to bed? No. I don't believe that. No. I stayed up for I, I stayed up for 48 40? hours one time. I stayed up for full two days one time. And I Me started, too, I but I'm surprised it's only 41 hours. It's the worst, huh? Imagine I started, if you're locked, I, I locked in a block of ice. I legitimately started hallucinating, and then I went to bed, and there was a rock concert in the house that I lived, like out the our house hosted <laughs> a rock concert, and I slept through the rock That's concert. That's funny. Like a full band. I completely slept. Wow! Away. But I was hallucinating. I like thought I had three hands for a minute. I, I really was. It's a drug. It was stronger than any drug I ever took. We're missing Levant. We are. Yeah. We should get going. Okay. Um, but 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 please do ask David to post a photo of Dessa reading Robo Sauce. That would really. He might be, be listening helpful. right now. Maybe he's listening. Ask him yourself yeah, right definitely. now. Definitely, David. Yeah, definitely <laughs> listening while he's doing his workouts. He's in a barometric okay, chamber. What do we want to say to the? Five people are listening to us right now. I want to say, I want to say congratulations. No, but they're, they're special people. They correct? are. They're, they have a great attention span. They have a great yeah. attention span. They're they're probably Aussie Wind fans. That's no, they're guys. Adam. Adam I, yeah, I don't Adam know about fan. that. My mom doesn't listen to podcasts, and I think she's the only. Because one your name is going to say Adam Rubin, which means if they came There's here, there's going to be a big ass asterisk, asterisk right next to that. To begin with. <laughs> asterisk. Uh, this is longer than any book you've ever read. 
very much so. <laughs> I thought about. I gave a presentation this morning, and uh, I thought about just straight up reading the book. It would have taken about 10, 15 minutes, and that would have been my whole presentation. I That's funny. That's and great. Like, and Cullen. some guy came up to me today in the elevator. You know, I'm not jealous of you, Asi, because people know who you are at Magic Conventions, and that is a huge uh, disadvantage. But he it well, is, he said me, he likes coming to these. Yeah, I know. But for me, I like the anonymity. You know, I, get I, to I like to, it too, by the way. I, I get to talk to who I want to talk to. I get to hang out with my friends. I don't get interrupted by random dudes. But... Today, I had the experience that you probably have at most magic conventions, which is that just random people come up to you and start a conversation and don't know how to end it, and you don't know what to do because you don't want to be rude, and you're and you're just like, okay, now the answer? talking. To, yeah, what's the answer? I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. And they only put it on so many too, times. Man. What if you're yeah. next to the bathroom? But anyway, the, point, <laughs> the point was this guy comes up in the elevator. I have to like, go to my room. I have a weird thing. He, he goes, uh, uh, I have to stop talking to you. I don't know why. <laughs> right, right. It's hard. <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom. Thank you for your time. But I don't mind it. To be, oh, okay, for the sake of furthest, I mean, I feel like the, the kids who come to me and ask me a question about trick or something, you know, they, I, you know, I was once that kid. Yeah, but that's different. That's different. Somebody that comes to you with a with a fertile mind and a and a and an insightful question is like mentally stimulating and like ins- sure. it gives you inspiration and it energizes. So what are you talking about? What, what about I'm when talking they come- is when the guy comes up to you and is like, Mister Asi Wind, you're Israeli. I had a cousin that went to well, Israel. What I forget their name. What was what's that city in Israel that? Uh, it doesn't happen that often. Really? No, it it's happens like, a little. They want to know what you think about BB. No, 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 no. It doesn't happen a lot, to be honest. Okay, it really well, doesn't. Do what about when people want you to do tricks? If someone comes up and says, "Can you?" Do I'm, I'm a machine. Look, I, I know you. Uh, <laughs> I saw. I know. No, I know. Perform at the castle the other night, and it was incredible. I, I'm sure. Yeah, Aussie's fine. Well, I have great. a picture actually from camp. I just found it a couple days ago. Oh, I yeah? sent it to you from after your show where people, the kids at Magic Camp, Aussie came out to Tadden's Magic Camp this summer, and the kids were literally, it was the only, in, how many, I've been in council for 18 years, and never have I seen the reaction. Kids were literally chanting Aussie, Aussie, Aussie before the show. <laughs> the whole audience was chanting that before the, trick, the thing was over. Afterwards, That's they funny. put you in a room with the older kids. Yeah. And there was a bunch of. People like uh, Prakash was there, and Holdsclaw was there, and Derek all Hughes, Derek Hughes were there, yeah. And uh, but you were you were on the, and they're like, all right, and they were all huddled around you, and it was a kind of it was a, like even an intense spotlight for you. You were like, whoa. Uh. It was it was quite Wait a second. Derek Hughes wasn't there. He, he came right after. Yeah, he wasn't. Was he, he was there? there. Yeah, he was there. there. Yeah, yeah, he was there with Carbonaro. Lovick was there. Carbonaro show. Oh yeah, that's right. Lovick and Car or uh, Derek and Carbonaro came yeah, for a bit. Prakash and, and that was the night. I love New York guys. guys. Doug, so I think, was there. Maybe. But either way. But that was one time. That was the one time I've seen you. Like you, nobody holds court amongst magicians like you do. But in that case, you were like, uh, somebody no. else do something. I don't really want. You. Like yeah. you, you were even a little put off. No, look, it's fun to do magic. It's fun to do. Here's here's the thing. Because I, I I I tried to write about this performing for magicians or people in the know. To me, there's almost no difference. My goal is pretty much the same. Like, if I'm performing for magicians, I want to fool them just as bad as I want to fool laymen. So I'll use different techniques, different methods, maybe a different approach. But the goal is the same. So I enjoy doing that, correct? Because the same reason I enjoyed performing for laymen. Well, do you think it's easier to fool magicians? I don't know if it's easier. I think it's different. It's a different tactic. It's a different approach. You have to use their knowledge against, against them. Right. Use things that, you know, layered differently or, you know, because... You know, some magic that I do for magicians is not interesting for laymen because it's it's too 
contrived and too long. And, procedure. Yeah, the, through procedure. But, you know, for magicians, they it contradicts everything they know about that trick. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's fine. It's a challenge. It's any, any challenge is fun. Yeah. Also, here's another thing. Even because there are two, two excuses about why magicians don't like to perform for other magicians. I hate it. To me, it's like, I, I it's like having sex in front of your parents. I it's hate like, it, too. Really? Actually, you know what? It's, like no, it's, like, it's like having sex in front of porn stars, I'd say. <laughs> that's a pretty that's I, a But pretty elevating them to porn stars is a thing. This, that's the, the mistake. I wouldn't say well, porn okay. stars are great you got to figure... Elevating his parents? The, t- the times that... I, look, I don't perform for magicians very often, but the times that I have been forced to perform for magicians... I look out in the audience, you know, this, it's all at 31 Faces North. That's where I've had to do it. Yeah. And those are guys are porn stars. Those are the porn stars. And it's yes. really fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> really terrifying. I've seen, like, really seasoned guys. That I understand, Jared but that's Kopp, different. Coast Kimlot, and they're trembling like leaves. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. It is crap. tough. It is tough. But here's the thing. For the most part, the, the reason pe- magicians don't like to perform for other magicians is because, A, they're afraid that their material will be stolen, which is legit. But that's like a, a minuscule, you know, portion of people who really don't want to perform for magic because of that. But the second reason is because they have nothing new to offer. They're using the same hack lines, same kind of tricks. They, and they know deep inside them that they have nothing innovative to give you. Because here's the deal. I've seen Mac King a million times. I know how the tricks work for the most part. So he's not, he's not fooling me. But I enjoy seeing him do it because he's an expert. He's, he's a master of this show. Even if we see, I don't know, I don't know, uh, Shadows by Teller, you know? I've seen him many, many, many times. Whether it fools me or not is irrelevant. I love seeing the piece because it's great. So if something is great, it doesn't matter who watches so it. So let me ask you this. Okay. Which of David's pieces do you feel that way about? Blaine's? Yeah. I think Blaine is one of the greatest walk around you know close-up performer i've ever seen he he truly engages with the crowd he truly um understand the psychology of what makes somebody feel that astonishing moment and i love watching that so which of the pieces that he does to you is like when he starts doing that you're like all right this is this is this is the master at work hmm I'm so you know because i'm so close to it it's, it's hard it, it's hard because it's like talking about a family member you know it's right like, um Give me a minute. We have, what, an hour? So we have another two hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah so let least. me think about that. Yeah. There's a bunch of trades that come to mind, but I'm trying to find the one that really is amazing. That you can watch. Well, the original question was that you could watch over and over and still well, just appreciate it. it. It's got me intrigued because you said you mentioned, like, Teller's because shadows. It, it's hard because I collaborate with David on a lot of his tricks. Yeah. So we have a lot of parallel material. Right. So... It's like almost complimenting myself. Like if I told you that he does one of my tricks really yeah, well. Like we said, this huh? is the time to be a pompous ass. Because nobody's listening. First of all, nobody's listening. Second of all, it's a podcast. We're talking into a microphone with a bag over it. So I feel like that's <laughs> just very time. weird. Why do you do that? That's the time. It's a pop filter. It's a, it's wow. the, it's a Ku Klux Klan like. Yeah. Usually it's the furry thing, correct? Like, I feel like we're all too close. That's not really what I'm into. But <laughs> yeah. you know. It depends on your proclivities. But I think the pop filter is only relevant if you're very you know close to the microphone. You would think so. Pop, 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 pop. Here's you a piece that so. he does very well, and I think he contributed to that piece a lot. I don't know to what extent, but I, I know he contributed a lot to that routine where he makes the deck uh, shrink sure. and become like only the hearts or diamond space, no, whatever, right. with their selection in the center. 
that's that's a beautiful piece. Yeah. And I've, every time he does it, he kills, kills. Oh, right, but you're not going to put that in the same category as Shadows or uh, or Matt King's show. It's different. Yeah, it's different. I, I don't, I don't well, you, believe in this. What about the water this, thing? The thing under. Well, th- that's another thing. You know, when he does, you know. Can you watch that a million times? No, because because, <laughs> because well, you know this is why David because, keeps Ossie close because he's a harsh critic. That's why. it's true because I'm also opposed. You might see it one day, in some format. You'll see what I feel about it in a very explicit way. I can't say more than that. I, I know what you're talking about. And I, know, <laughs> so I don't think on. it's ever going to come out. It will, it will. You really think so? Yeah, one hundred percent. The editing alone will take. No, have you seen any cuts? No. Okay, we can talk about okay. it. Let's move on. All right. Uh, I want to congratulate once again anybody that's made it through. So many false endings. And, and if and you do, please take a photo, put yeah, it on Facebook, photo, and take us. And uh, if you've made it all the way through, you know, please take a photo. Visit AussieWon'tStopTalking.org. Our, our heartiest congratulations. <laughs> Heartfelt. I Thank like it. you. It's only me. You're all talking. <laughs> and apologize. And apologies. Are you signing off? I'm trying. I've tried no, a couple times. Not. It what, hasn't, what time it hasn't we worked. 2.13. Two, <laughs> Two hours and 13 minutes? Good that's God. Fun. That's awesome. Let's go for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Look, imagine... Gonna imagine catch, and then we'll all go away, and will really feel bad. Imagine that they go... They, they look at the podcast and it says on the bottom, five hours. They will not even start listening. No, definitely not. They go... Eh? Sure about that. Yeah, or they so. might think, wow, this is really profound. Scare they probably ha- have something to say. They might um, say, who the hell is Adam Rubin? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, what they asked. Are you going to do a podcast with me? Yeah. Well, I'd then we should whatever, what, whatever, whatever you reach, I want to double that. Okay. I'll come by. <laughs> <laughs> you'll basically you'll be part two of this. Oh, man. That's funny. It sounds amazing. You okay. know, here, can I say something interesting? Please. That's I've been I, waiting for quite a while. I know. It's two I hours know. and 13 minutes. But later. you know what? Here's something very interesting. I I really think that what I like about... <laughs> shut up. I'm talking here. We, um, we know. No. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a website. Yeah, we read the... We I'm read, not going to say it. Yeah, no, no. You no, had something please, interesting to say. Yeah. I, think, I think it's interesting. But I, what I like about showmanship and, and, and shows in, in general is this... Looseness of sincerity. I don't know how to say it any in any other way or form. What I mean by that, it's like there's something very rigid about shows that I see, like a very rigid script, and it feels like a script. And you spoke about good acting, but yeah, like Max, even show, he's if, ex- no, scripted to every single. But it's show. amazing, correct? It feels but, very loose. But there's a big difference between the way we talk now and the way we spoke before, like. We kind of were aware that there's a mic and we need to deliver a podcast and we, we have yes. a standard to hit. And now we don't care. Well, you know what the biggest difference is? Earlier it was an interview, so I had to do most of the talking and now it's become a conversation. <coughs> yes, and I want my show to feel like a conversation. I want it to feel like what we're doing now. Well, that's what we talked about earlier is that some performers, really seasoned performers, when they're on stage and they have an audience member there, they're present in the moment, and that's what makes it feel like a real experience. Is that there is an actual exchange exactly. of ideas. It's not just you're not just a wall that they're bouncing off of. You actually are exactly. affected by what happens there. So, in other words, if we forgot, if we forget that there's a mic in front of us, yeah, that's probably like, be bad for my career. I am a children's author. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm saying no. But you know what I mean? Like, if that's why I totally remember. No, 
But if you're not performing for a microphone or camera or crowd, then you really allow yourself to be you, like to, to like I'm talking right now the way I would talk to a friend, correct? Yeah. yeah. It's there's no difference between well, the way we talk. Quiet about some of the Blaine stuff. Uh huh. You start to get quiet about some of the Blaine exactly, stuff. Exactly, but that's true. I, well, I mean, because he, does, he doesn't yeah. want to blow it yeah, for no, the no, other no, project. No, that, right. you know, yeah, there's yeah, things yeah. I can talk about. Right, right, right. But I'm saying I would talk. This is how I talk to my friends, correct? So I want to be on stage talking to the, to, to the audience the way I talk to my friends. That's my goal. Well, I think what we have learned is that there, there is a period of acclimation. There's a period of, of familiarization where you need to get to know the audience and they need to get to know you. And that's, it, unless you purposely build that into your show, you'll never get to the point where they feel they can talk to you like a friend and you feel that you can talk to them like a friend. But maybe if you approach it that way, it kind of like um, sets the rules or, or opens the gate to that. Absolutely. And I've seen it, I've seen it done. I've seen, like for example, I'll give you an example. I'm not gonna mention names, but I've seen performers yeah. who off stage are so interesting, they're so funny, they're so engaging, real. Yeah. And the moment they, they start, I don't know. Performing. Go into the performance mode and the stage voice and all that, I'm bored to death. Yeah. And I love these people and they're great magicians. Oh, okay, okay. But I was gonna the, ask, are these like, Great magicians, these are big names type? Yeah, you're just for sure big right? names, okay, of course. And, and, and to me, it's like really a shame because I said, if you could bring that person I know at the bar yeah, or the, whatever, if you bring that person to the stage, I'm intrigued. Like that's What about, what about the opposite? What do you mean? People what about like big names who, when you talk them off stage, are like they're really boring people, but then they get on I stage. I don't. Uh, nothing comes like to mind. De Niro, mind. for example. I mean, he's not a magician, obviously, but like supposedly I, he's I, like super boring off, but you put him on. Is camera. he boring off? I, I, I That's I don't why he never does interviews. Like he doesn't. He doesn't like the kibitz. He doesn't like to talk. He's just very quiet and like. I've met him twice, but it was like very brief, so I can't judge. I can't really say, you know. I mean, that's his reputation. I, yeah. I don't claim so to I don't know, know the hero at all, but that's so I can his only reputation. go by the people I just I mean, know. Well, I'm talking about, okay, so let's talk about magicians. Adam is so. really boring off stage, correct? For but, sure. But I've never seen him on stage, so I don't know. He's just boring. <laughs> I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm boring with a twist. You know, I'm like, there's a threat that I might do something interesting at any moment. Yeah. It's sort of like this podcast. <laughs> but hold on, most podcasts have gossip. We're, we're lacking gossip. That's true. Let's have some gossip. How was your phone call earlier? <laughs> well, I did, I no, did, no, I'm just I did kind of shit on Roger Dreyer's business card a little bit. That was you did. sort of gossipy. Yeah. But I, you know, even if Roger's listening, I would say like go change it. Change it. Like I mean, if you're gonna use Get Mark's it right. design, Get it right. use yeah. Mark's design. Like don't put the logo on there. Don't put the right side up text on the back. Like um, I got. I really want to talk to Mark about it because he is such a uh, like a detail-driven guy, and he's so that I, I wonder if it just pains him to see it. Yeah, like, like that, a, a magic done. A really wonderful a idea. A good magic done. Wait, I, have a, I have a question about this podcast. Sure. So, does someone have to tune in for two hours to hear this stuff, or is there the potential for you to chop this up and edit it and just out the? No, there's no, no editing. When, when there's no editing. editing. Okay. Can we? Can we call like? Let's call magicians. Let's call Derek Delgado. Okay. He's gonna hate you. For no. This. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's yeah. Not He'll do be that. so mad. Let's not okay, do that. Okay. So, I'm not Derek, I'm not calling you. Uh, we can do that on your episode, Ozzy. Yeah, I'm, great I'm glad idea. to do that on your. Episode. Let's, okay. Let's call John Lovick. John Lovick will be fine. Oh, God. He'll love the gossip. <laughs> you know what? Don't tell him I'm here. And be like, hey, what do you think of Adam Rubin? Okay. Yes. This no, is, but this no, is no. Really I don't want to know. He's my friend. No. He's, he's my friend, I'm, too. I'm telling you. I, no. he, he I don't think he'll say anything. Maestro, you're, in, uh, you're live. We're doing a podcast, and we're trying to break the world record of magic podcasts. So so far, we've been going for how long? Uh, 220. 220. We're saying basically nothing. And we're telling people to not listen. We're encouraging them to, to just sign off, but 
if if there's anybody listening right now, they hear your voice. <laughs> I, I feel bad for them. <laughs> I know. I wish I we told them that if they did reach this point, to take a screenshot of the, uh, you know, the progress line, whatever, and post it on Facebook. So, anything you want to contribute to this nonsense uh, conversation? Um, you can say anything. Uh, listen, listen, nobody's listening right now. Yeah, if you want to talk shit about Adam Rubin or something like that. Harry Houdini was the greatest magician who ever lived. <laughs> wow, profound. What, are you trying to get into Galusha's good, good graces over there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are you doing? Where are, you, where are we catching you? What are you wearing? What am I doing? I'm in my car. I'm riding. I'm driving to fine American party supplies to buy plastic cups. Because Is nothing like cheap, cheap red wine tastes best in plastic cups. By the way, I, w- I was John. Do you I, ever get Do you ever get worn out from your rock and roll lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so two nights ago, I was at the castle and I went to see Lavik perform. And remember you gave somebody the wine and he said it doesn't taste like wine? Do, yeah. you, do you remember that? Why did he I say do remember that. Why did he say that? Because it well, tastes like cranberry here's, juice. Here's what happened there. Yeah, it's that I was using I was using a really cheap, very sweet wine. <laughs> Now, the thing about it is, is is there's no it was absolutely wine. There's no mistaking it for wine. But it was so sweet and because I made the joke about it being cranberry juice. So in other words, you, you tweaked your act, you upgraded your act. It was, but yeah. the out was great. He said, give it to somebody who knows something about alcohol.